hey, welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Quarcast. It's episode 14. Happy 4th of July weekend and happy Canada Day for those of you uh, living in the country to our most immediate north. I'm Owen Newkirk. He's Sean Shapiro. As we have reached now, I think it's the fifth month of March, which is now July 2020. And yes, the pandemic surges on, unfortunately, especially in the southern states. And uh, Sean, this was the weirdest Canada Day that you and I have experienced probably since we both got into working in the sport of hockey because you and I are so ingrained that Canada Day marks the beginning of NHL free agency. And this year, it was really quiet on the 1st of July. Yeah, not even just the beginning of it, too. Like, it's, it's, we're at a state where with, uh, I mean, and this is, I feel like this trend is probably, what, five, six years old now, where it used to be, um, it used to be kind of common where, like, things could be drawn out a little bit. Like, oh, hey, things would happen on July 1st, and right. then you might get something. Like, but now, I mean, like, Alexander Radulov signing on July 3rd, I think, when, when like, he signed on July 3rd or 4th, him signing that day was late. Like, now July 1st, it's not just the start of free agency. Everything gets done on July 1st. Well, that's that's probably, as you were alluding to, it probably goes to the interview window that wasn't yeah. allowed before. Mm-hmm. That during the last, what, five, six years, they've yeah. allowed potential UFAs the week before to speak with teams. Not Technically, they're not supposed to talk actual dollar figures. Yet, they seem to come to those grips very quickly on day yes. one of free agency. Yes, you're, you're not allowed. To, you're not allowed to talk dollar figures, but but somehow teams can get ruled out based How off dollar figures before we even get to July first. If I were to offer you these large bags of money, <laughs> yes. how many would it take for you to sign? And for how many years do I need to give you these large bags of money? Or and it, we don't even need to use the word. I mean, it could be simple as like yes. if I offer you seven million apples a year. <laughs> And let's assume the you. apples are at the American exchange rate, exchange yes. rate not the Canadian. <laughs> yes, yeah, so seven million apples a year, and I know Tampa is going to offer you six million apples a year. <laughs> is an extra million apples enough to get you to play yes. for us if you tack on an extra year of apple picking? Yes. Man, we're good at this. Hey, uh, speaking of which, Sean, uh, one of the, the exciting things that came out, it was quiet uh, on the first on Canada Day, was the league announced that they were not going to withhold or defer signing bonuses for the 2020-21 season. And so a lot of big-name players got a lot richer on the first. Yeah, it was a big, big expenditure day across the NHL. Um, I think I saw, like, I think it was something like $300 across the entire league was was, was shelled out across the league. Stars um, paid out... Somewhere close to 26 or 27 million, depending. I mean, they, there's 25.5 of that million are the big names you think of: Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan, Ben Bishop, Alexander Radulov, Joe Pavelski. I think it's those five. Yep, that and, is those. Yep. And then, and then there's also some other ones where like a, a Ty Delandry, a Thomas Harley. They're getting. They were getting ninety-two thousand dollars. Those are some uh, of those entry-level signing bonuses. Yes. yes. And so, and so they're getting those signing bonuses. And now I would definitely wouldn't be. A, I would not be opposed to getting ninety-two thousand dollars on oh July first. Oh Lord no. But it is also not the same as getting a uh, eight million dollar uh, deposit into your bank That's account like Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan got. Huh? Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's the one where 
I know it's being difficult for no reason, but I wouldn't mind getting the oversized golf check because, yep. we, you know, won the tournament, the Happy Gilmore. Hey, 39th place, I got $15 million. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Um, so the signing bonuses were paid out, which means that there's clearly money still in the system, which is a plus because there's yeah, a well, lot of discussion going on about teams might be cutting back if they can't get anywhere near having pl- fans in the stands, not for the return to play that's coming up, but the following season. But the, Well, the other thing, too, with signing bonuses, and I'd have to get the exact layout of it, too, is um, it is a already it's an expense for owners that's already set up. It's, right. if, I, if I remember correctly, I believe it goes, in, it, has to, it goes into a bank account from ownership before July 1st. Um, and so it's not like Tom Gillardi cut the check on July 1st. It's just on July 1st is when it gets paid out. It gets paid out. Right. And, and that's why those, and that's why we, when we talk about uh, lockout protection, that's why those checks are lockout protected and everything like that, where, where, um, well, usually if, lockouts wouldn't be determined until closer to the start of the training camp. Yeah, or regular but, but, season, the, right? but the signing bonuses are, but they're lockout protected right. because even if, even if you had the signing bonus, like you, here's the thing: you don't have to have your signing bonus on July first. There's no rule that says that. Everyone does it. Everyone structures it that way because teams want it very clean that way. But like in theory, if you wanted to say, if you signed a contract and said, "Hey, I, I'd like a signing bonus on December fifteenth," you could technically do that. It'd now, yeah, it'd be weird. Maybe, maybe a nice holiday bonus. Nice. They know. get it out of the way because it literally is a normal years. Yeah, it's the first day of the fiscal year. July 1st starts the new year of the NHL. This year is not normal. And mm-hmm. uh, so because of that, that's just sort of where we're at. And speaking of not normal, Sean, shortly after we did our Quarcast last Friday, our first mm-hmm. in separate time zones, the uh, draft lottery was uh, unveiled and performed, the first phase, which is not normal because usually the draft lottery is done after the season is concluded and we know where everybody stands. Mm-hmm. And of course this year's different because they wanted to capitalize on some attention even before the qualifying round is over because the qualifying round will actually determine who is in the playoffs and which teams lose and go into that group of eligible lottery teams. And of course, just after all the speculation that it could be just a mess because there's a bunch of placeholders for teams and we don't know where they'll line up of course that happened during last friday's draft lottery yeah i it's it's i mean i it, it's crazy <laughs> like like we go from detroit goes from having one of the worst seasons in decades like i mean this was such a historically bad detroit team they drop all the way to fourth you have the ottawa senators have two picks with the top three odds <laughs> and and get end up with second and fifth right for ottawa no uh no yeah, second no third and fifth third sorry because yep. la got second so it's it is i i this was kind of when the whole draft lottery system got announced, we all knew this was possible. Um, now that it happened, it just feels more ridiculous. Like it's one of those things where, like, we knew this could happen in theory, and then something like this goes and happens. And I, in in my view, it's just one of those things where it's this is why we didn't need to do the draft lottery before. Like this was this was if if it had been. 
if it had been an NHL team, if it had if it had been won by they took a risk with this. If it had been won by one of the top seven teams, which that's what the NHL wanted. Like that's that's the thing. People people are saying, oh, it's rigged. Like this is the thing where like people say, oh, it's rigged. It's not rigged. The NHL wanted to be able to. They wanted to be able to interview Rob Blake. They wanted to be able to interview the GM that won that night. Yes. They wanted to say, hey, hey, you won the lottery. They wanted to be able to. How awkward. I don't know how much you watched the I lottery. I did actually. But, so but I missed you have, it. But, but you have Lafreniere, who was there, who's not there, but he's on Zoom right. to watch the show. And they have no need to interview him because he has no. you can't talk to him about what team won the lottery. Right. It's like, so it's it's like, like the, uh, the opposite of the Joe Burrow when yeah. they find out, hey, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals are on the clock. Where do yeah. you, and, and then he goes, well, I might go to Cincinnati. I might go somewhere else. I just don't yeah. know. Lafreniere really doesn't know. No, and, and he, we know he's going to go number one. And it's... <laughs> And the other thing, too, that I just feel like with how we handled all of this, um, and, and it's, I don't really know what the right situation is, but someone, somebody put, we added, we added unneeded chaos in doing this to up, we added unneeded chaos to create slight intrigue now. When really it's gonna, it's gonna, it could change the balance of the league for decades. Just, just to be, maybe, maybe I'm being facetious when I say decades, but hypothetical situation. Pittsburgh, just let's use, say Pittsburgh, say Pittsburgh gets bounced in the first right. round. Just say, and all of a sudden the Pittsburgh Penguins win the first overall right. pick. And there's no guarantee that just because they lose means yes, they're the, going to win it, but they have the, the, a what a one in eight chance. The one, in, they have a one in eight chance, and, right. the, the, and, and so we're talking about. And you know what? If you're Lafreniere, you know what? You're loving it, actually. Because you're going to a good team. You right. are going I mean, to go... Yeah. You're going to a much better team than typically wins it at the bottom. Like you say, I mean, the, the eight teams that lose, I mean, the worst team is going to be the Montreal Canadiens or the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. And that's not a bad place to be because they're yeah. closer to a rebuild, I think, than the Ottawa Senators are. Yeah. And he would be... And, and he... And like, you look at Lafreniere and you look at his, his spot... He goes to Montreal. He would be now. Maybe I don't. I don't know inside his psyche. I don't know him. But you think about a, a kid from Quebec, like to be the hero, yeah. like the, like this. This would be like if they're they're talking about this kid as the best kid out of Quebec since Mario Lemieux. Like Which that's is something. That is out of Quebec because yes, Crosby played in the queue, but he's from Nova Scotia. Right. But, <laughs> right. So even though he played, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, in Quebec City. Yeah. Right, it's just not the same. So yeah. let me ask you this, Sean, because uh, you talked about it being rigged, or, or people saying, "No, it's not." I'm not. No, no, I'm not no, saying no, no, it's no. not rigged. Yeah, let yeah. me rephrase that. You talked about how com- fans were complaining that it was rigged. Not yeah. you weren't saying that. Yeah. Um, it, it isn't, but it obviously didn't look great because it was a mess. It looked chaotic, and now let me ask you this part: Which of the teams of the, the potentially 16 teams that could get knocked out of the first round. Now remember, only eight will lose, but there's up to 16 playing that qualifying round. Are there any teams in that group of 16 that could end up winning the top lottery pick that teams that, that these crazy fans will not call this uh, a rigged situation because like for example yeah, yeah. if the, the the jokes immediately came well Edmonton's going to get another first pick and or I will admit yeah, yeah. if that happens you roll your eyes and go please not not the Oilers again yeah. right so yeah no, who, like who, who who if if you had that list who doesn't send those ridiculous alarm bells off I Columbus Winnipeg 
Like just like I'm like <laughs> I'm thinking Winnipeg. of places. Like I'm thinking of places like and technically actually it's Winnipeg's pick that would have actually won it. Like the how about the Carolina? Pick that that's another one that popped up into mind too. Um, I think they would definitely they would definitely be one. Now the I I imagine we would then all of a sudden be on uh, uh, RFA uh, offer sheet watch for the Canadians in three years to, oh, to offer sheet Lafreniere I'm, as I'm soon sure as <laughs> as soon as possible. But um, my my first thought was Columbus. Would be the last time that happened. <laughs> yeah, my my first thought was Columbus, just as kind of a team where it'd be like. But then again, you you'd have all of a sudden. Problem is, you have all of these people. You bring out your conspiracy theories. You're going to have people who say, "Oh, well, the NHL is doing Columbus a favor after they lost Panarin and Bobrovsky." Like you could like, come up with a ridiculous. You could come up with anything. Here's my you thing. Come up with anything. Which would be worse for these yeah. uh, out there fans, Edmonton or the Toronto Maple Leafs? <laughs> well, so here the interesting thing with Toronto, because if it happened with Toronto. It would send them so far into cap hell. Oh like, my like, god! Like, like, yeah. you look, you look at what would happen with Toronto. Um, Toronto is one of those teams with. They bring in Lafreniere. I, I think if Toronto won the lottery and gets Lafreniere, obviously he becomes someone you, you you say, okay, we're building him. But with what's happening with the cap, we're going to look at a flat cap pretty much coming Boy, up soon. Gonna ha- they'd and have to trade somebody like a Nylander or something, yeah, wouldn't they? There was there, there would be a trickle-down effect of movement. Like, it would at least, if Toronto won the lottery, I, it would at least create some for some more chaos for all of us. And, of course, for anyone listening, if you haven't figured it out by now, sports writers and, to some extent, broadcasters as well, thrive off the chaos because it leads to <laughs> intrigue and fun stories to write. So... You can't see Sean's giddiness when he talks about the possibility for more chaos. It's there. I, I trust you. Trust me, it's there. Well, it, it, it's something, too, where it's like, and I, I won't go through all of this right now, but I'm, I'm working on something for next week where, like, even in retrospective, it's always fascinating, where uh, I'm working with Scott Cruikshank, our Calgary Flames writer. Him and I have been um, working on a story where we've been taking a look at the... Uh, at at the Aginla at the Aginla Neuendijk deal from 1995, and which we talked about ta- last week. Yeah, and and, and in the and in the past week, uh, Scott and I have talked to Les Jackson and uh, and Craig Button, people who were in the room when that deal when that deal was happening, about kind of what those conversations were and some of the truth first reality of perceptions that people have about when those conversations were happening, and we've kind of looked at kind of dug into kind of we're kind of looking into some of like okay. If this deal did or didn't happen, how the two franchises would have been different, and it's even fun in retrospective. I'm not going to go too. I'm not going any sure. further than that because I got the, the story will be out Monday or Tuesday. But it's just it's interesting to look back and just even past chaos is, is interesting to look at and and, 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 and examine because this would be if Toronto wins, they have all of a sudden a massive decision to make of which of these players are we moving, and. And what is the type of market for that? Because also, it's the type of thing where, with the salary cap era, teams are going to know that Toronto... It's not like Toronto says, oh, we can just keep them all. Toronto has to make a move. And so teams can kind of hold Toronto to the fire a little bit more if they're smarter in negotiating, too. Yes. It's, it would be... Until would the def- teams start to really want that player, and then they start yeah. a bidding war. And mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the draft lottery that happened last week. And whether or not... It was good or not, it did at least start a little conversation about that, and thus we spent a few minutes talking about it. 
Then the big thing this week, it hasn't been officially announced, but it's essentially the hub cities have now been named. Yeah. Uh, with the, they're both going to Canada. I mean, we talked about this for so long. It's going to be Vegas and somebody. And, and then it looked like only a couple days ago, Sean, it looked like Vegas and Vancouver. And then they both got X'd out, and it's Edmonton and Toronto that are the presumptive nominees. Now, I say presumptive because the, they haven't officially announced a tentative agreement, and there's a lot to unpack there that maybe we'll have to wait until they officially announce. Could be today, could be later, but we're talking about the return-to-play format and all the different rules and issues that they have to negotiate, and in addition to that, an extension to the current collective bargaining agreement. So they're trying to, uh, between the NHL and the NHL Players Association Executive Committee, unpack a ton of things to handle both this and the future of the NHL and deal with the hub cities. And, and they have a lot to go through. They, if they come to a tentative agreement, then they have to ratify it. Uh, Bob McKenzie with some great reporting this morning talking about uh, potential target dates. And it looks like, uh, I don't want get, to get past the, the point of the hub cities, but it looks like because of the way things are negotiating, it's going to push back the start date of camp He's saying maybe to July 13th. I'd say 13th, 14th, 15th, somewhere in that range. And they're still going to yeah. start around the 1st of August if everything goes the way they plan. Yeah, and I've talked to some people, too, who um, who believe that we're looking at the 14th or 15th as okay. the realistic start for camp. Um, I've also see, seen some teams, too, that are worried um, with as we kind of push this back each day, you start to get to a tighter and tighter camp. Because, like, say you start the 15th, um, and then you go to the hub on August 1st, There's there may, there may be some worry. No, no one has said this, but there's some worry of, do we have enough time for two exhibition games, for example? Like, the, is that full plan going to be? Which is why it's even more valuable for a team in the top four seating. To, like, if, if, if the Dallas Stars lose an exhibition game, you don't lose much sleep over it. But if you're a team that's in that best of five and you're trying to get guys up and going, you don't like losing that. Um, right. The, the other, I mean, obviously there's some other major things. When we in say this. lose, you mean not be able to play one of those games. Yes, right. and maybe having one exhibition game. Right. Not, not as in yeah. we don't win the exhibition yeah, game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no one's going to care who wins or loses the exhibition game. Um, on top of that, we also seem like we may have a – Kind of future carrot of Olympic hockey again with with that the NHL That is player. really interesting, is it yeah, not? That, that that's an interesting thing, and it's going to be interesting to see once all of this is laid on the table. Of it will be interesting to see when we look at like the flowcharts of all of this. Of like, okay, what did the players give to get the Olympics? Like right. that will be interesting to see once this all comes out. Now, I don't. We don't have the full insight to all that. The other thing, and I wanted to kind of touch on this, and just because I, I wrote this week about, I did, I did a story talking, where I talked to Stars President Brad Alberts about why Dallas wasn't a hub. And he talked, and one of the big things he talked about with the hub was, hey, at no point was he told by the NHL there's too many COVID cases in Texas. He was just told, he was told, hey, the bubble, the the dub, they would have stayed at the W Hotel, that's 1.7 miles away. You, didn't you they, write in your article that they were looking at the Omni? Sorry, the Omni, not the WBA. Yeah, yeah. The W is just walking yeah, distance. Yeah. Sorry, the, I meant yeah. the Omni. The Omni is 1.7 miles away, but the problem is Dallas's hub and bubble couldn't be as super sealed as they felt it could be in other places. Now, there's a really good point in a column this week from the folks over at Sinbin Vegas where they were talking about 
where, where Vegas is now getting dragged through the mud, and the entire United States, truthfully, should be dragged for the mud how, for how we've, we've, the country has handled COVID-19. But Vegas is getting dragged through the mud because, oh, well, it's the COVID cases that stopped. Um, that, that's why they're not going to Vegas. And that's fine. I'm okay with that justification. However, it also goes to, it also leads to the, the it leads to the, the further point and just the proof in the pudding that if the NHL truly believed the hub could be sealed in a, in a true bubble, the co- the locale wouldn't matter. Right. And that's and that's one of the reasons and one of the by going to Canada and I have no problem with it because I bubbles burst and bubbles pop and I and somebody will get in or out. I know it's going to happen. And so, but the NHL by going to Canada has admitted that we at least know the bubble is not going to be, it's not going to be this, it's not going to be like the bubble from the Simpsons movie that just get pops on popped on the, top of it. The dome. The do- yeah, the dome. That, uh, the best part about that is like, I saw someone tweeted the picture of it the other day and the dome is like halfway over the baseball stadium. Like it covers like <laughs> half of the baseball stadium. So it's like, um, Oh, the Simpsons are great. But here's the thing, but, Sean, is that yeah. I had a thought about this. First mm-hmm. of all, this is a TV only event, right? Yes. Fans can't be in the stands. It doesn't matter where they play it, from the sake no, not of, at all. of TV. As long as it's in a in a arena that handles the NHL setup with the locker rooms, right? They've talked about that before. Of like, you know, whether they play in Edmonton or Vegas or Dallas or Chicago or LA, it really does not matter um, from the viewership standpoint. Now, what I think is important, Sean, is. If you had the option, you and I were talking about this before we started recording today. Dallas is going through a pretty nasty heat wave at the moment with humidity and heat indexes oh, up yeah. in the 105 to 110 degree range, which I've lived in Texas for eight years now. It's not the best time to be outdoors nope. in Texas. I'm up in Maine at the moment, and this is a great time to be in Maine, I might add. Yeah. I'm not trying to rub it in, but my point is, is that wouldn't you rather be up north if you're one of the players where when you... You know, if you're going to be sequestered, I mean, yes, if you're in Dallas and it's 110 heat index, you probably don't want to go outside, so you sit in your hotel room. But, like, wouldn't it be nice to be in Edmonton in July and August or September when the weather is really nice up there for that, you know, that location? Because in the middle of the winter, that's not the best place to be necessarily. No, I I definitely, I think that's definitely a good point. That's where you want to be. Um, I think the other thing, too, is, like, um, I was talking to someone. I was talking to someone the other day about, and I don't know if the money, and I don't know why they weren't on there. But someone brought up this. Says I don't understand why Winnipeg wasn't on the list. And and just as far as right. you look at Winnipeg, to me, and just kind of in hindsight, you look at it. Winnipeg has is really actually kind of one of the ideal set. Would have been one of the ideal setups at the, for this time of year. Um, on top of that, the uh, the Bell MTS Center has literally a tunnel system that goes from the hotels to the has a tunnel system that goes from the hotels to the arena that is typically there. So in the winter, you don't have to walk outside in the freezing cold. <laughs> I have actually so got, miserable. I have actually gotten lost in those tunnels before. Actually, Mike Hike and I got lost in those tunnels once. <laughs> oh, um, dear. Um, it was one. It was like kind of out of a movie. So Hikes and I are walking back from a game in Winnipeg two years ago to the hotel and um he is <laughs> like we've circled a couple times he's like i think it's that way and he said no i don't think it's that way he's like i'm pretty sure it's that way i'm like okay i'll wait right here so he keeps walking and then it's like the, the from the like a scene from a movie <laughs> like he walks like he had he work walks all the way around in a circle like right in front of me and i haven't moved the entire time that's brilliant <laughs> like, and he sees you and he goes oh damn 
Yeah. So, um, well, moral of the story, hindsight, Winnipeg, I'm surprised Winnipeg wasn't on the list just as far as yeah. just because if you look at Manitoba, and you look at the cases in Manitoba too, as far as you talk about places where if the bubble does get. So, um, was there a discussion point of Winnipeg not having as many hotel rooms at the, the that might be, luxury I mean, level that they were needing to be? That might I'm be just an guessing. Issue. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, that might be they? an issue. That might be an issue. I'm trying to blank on the hotel. Yeah, but I mean, Winni- I Winnipeg. Too. But to give you an exa- perfect example, Winnipeg is the type of place where I typically end up staying at the same hotel as the team. And typically, the hotels I stay at, I can't. I don't pay for the hotel that is the NHL player qual. If that makes sense, right? right? Like usually, that's more expensive. And you say, hey, yes. I can live on a slightly less expensive hotel than the five stars that the players are at. I'm I'm fine with a Marriott. I'm I'm good with I'm good with with Marriott. Hey, there's nothing wrong with a Marriott. Some of no. them are indeed that. I mean, they stay at a couple of JWs that are pretty. Yeah. Pretty darn fancy. Well, I'm not saying it. I can, I've not stayed at a JW, but it's uh, the uh, residence ends half points. I don't. I avoid those. Uh, I mean, there, there's a good one. Um, there's a good one in Vancouver that I stay at just because it's got a good overlook of the water. But uh, it's half points at a residence in um, the uh, a courtyard you, you doesn't want to lose your your points, yeah. do you? Yeah, a courtyard doesn't have a courtyard typically doesn't have free breakfast. So really, yeah, I the, swear the, I've the stayed go- there before. And I, I'm have. a big fan of the uh, the Fairfield Inn. is is probably the perfect example of full points and free breakfast. That is that is the, the importance that to is, a traveling hockey writer. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not judging at all. I'm just laughing about it because, of course, it's and, important. And, and when you're and, and and when you get free breakfast, which is big. when you get free like, breakfast like in the AHL travel yeah. beat, that was free breakfast is huge. Well, and and then plus you get free breakfast, and then you can and then you can get a nicer meal or dinner or because a drink or two later la- later in the evening. You know, we <laughs> stayed. Ironically, we stayed one of the best hotels we stayed at with the Texas Stars was in Peoria. Which you mm-hmm. think really that's weird, but there was an embassy suites right across the river from the rink, and they had like a full breakfast, free breakfast buffet with an omelet station, Ooh. which is like, especially the AHL is phenomenal, yeah. right? Because you don't typically die. AHL you usually stay in nice hotels, but you're staying in Hampton Inns, you know, really nice, but not like that top echelon yeah. kind of thing. Now in the United Hockey League, there were some other ones that were a little sketchy at times, but that's a different story for another day. So Edmonton and Toronto, uh, I can see why Edmonton, Toronto's confusing because I know they have the infrastructure to handle it, and I know that it makes sense to keep Eastern teams sort of in their time zone area. Okay, I Mm -hmm. get it. But wasn't Toronto a little bit worse off than the other Canadian cities as far as the spread of the virus? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was. And the other thing, too, like you're talking about trying to keep people – secluded yeah toronto is a place where i feel like it's easier for the bubble to pop in toronto just well, just we talked last week about players making yeah. good or bad uh responsibility yeah. choices this yeah. toronto is a place that could really entice players to make yeah. bad decisions and, and like it's 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 a funny like i say this but like the hotels aren't right there but if you wanted to put players in a place where they couldn't be walking away and, and making bad choices you would do it in Ottawa because going to Ottawa, when you go to the arena, when you go to the Canadian Tire Center, and, and, and as you're as you're as you're headed out there, and either your Uber or your train or whatever, the amount of times you can go, huh, they could have put the arena there, or there, or there, or there, or there, or there. All these places that are actually closer to civilization, right. like you could have played the games in Ottawa, like Toronto. I feel like you're going to run into the issue of 
not only the possible bubble popping for players, but you also are going to, you're going to have people who are going to, in Toronto, with where that building is and how it is in the heart of downtown, you're going to have people looking for players. You're going to have people looking for autographs. It's going to happen. Yes. Like, it is going to happen. They're going to have to have a lot of security around yeah. the, the building because it's in the heart of downtown Toronto. Yep. All right, uh, great segment. We have lots more to discuss in the coming days on that. Keep an eye out for uh, any official news of when they come to a tentative agreement. I think we all expect that it will happen. It's just a question of yeah. will it be today or will it be over the weekend. And then the big point of, well, the NHL Board of Governors can convene and vote relatively quickly to ratify. The NHL Players Association takes uh, several days because they have to get – 700 yeah. plus players to vote and and sean there is a bit of contention uh, just briefly of the fact that some players may not want players involved in the seven teams that are not participating voting on the hub city rules when it doesn't affect them at all yeah and it kind of falls on both sides you have some players who say hey we need to have representation for the entire league and then you have some that say why should we care if, if, they, if they're not part of this return to play right. format um one other, uh, one other random thought before we close this segment. Just and this is this is silly and not hockey related no, at no, all. No, here we go. But we were talking about hotels and breakfasts. And <laughs> are you are hungry there any, now? Are there any other states where you can get a waffle made in the shape of it at a hotel? Other than the state of Texas? Yes, because obviously I've been to hotels in question. Texas where where you can get you can get a Texas shaped waffle. I don't know if there's any other states where you can do that. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm sure you could find one and order one online. But yeah, but you're talking about like readily available at the Continental yeah. Breakfast Buffet. Yeah, and what other shape to fit that? And Texas it's the has only the perfect one. I think I've ever seen it. We stayed at a couple places on our first trip moving to Austin. I think we stayed mm-hmm. uh, in the suburbs of Dallas because it yeah. was one of those where we just couldn't make it the other three hours. And I'm pretty sure there was a Texas waffle maker. Yeah, because Texas, the shape of Texas is both ideal for a waffle, and it is not like... An- oh, and you know what? We got stuck in a hotel in, uh, in the colony. Uh, I think it was a residence inn, if, you, if I might add. <laughs> um, because we tried to close when we moved from Austin to Dallas, and mm-hmm. our lender botched something and got things delayed. And so we were ending... We're trying to time it. So we stayed one night in the hotel. We moved up from Austin. Yeah. You know, we had... Closed our house, yeah. sold it in Austin, packed everything up and moved, and then the, the I, I had it perfectly planned. Right, you get to and then you, and, the hotel, and then you, get, yeah. you get uh, in Dallas that evening. The next day, you go sign the stuff and you start moving in. And of course, it didn't work. Yeah. So, so, you, so you spent another night in a hotel that only gives you half points. Not just another night, another week. So, so you you had so you essentially should have double the Bonvoy points as they call them now. I'm still getting used to that term. Um, you should no. have. Well, I haven't used a lot of hotel nights in the last five or six years because <laughs> I've not been traveling like yeah. before, and that was interesting too because I always tried to get the points in the AHL trips, and most of the time I could get them. But once in a while, the hotel would uh, the airplane. Of course, always when you fly, they always give you the frequent flyer miles. Yeah. But mm-hmm. with the hotels, sometimes they wouldn't give it to the individual because of the group rate or because they say, well, we're giving points to the, to the team that purchased it. So sometimes you wouldn't be able to get those. So 
you know. Yeah, I'm I'm, wor I'm worried about I'm gonna because of this pandemic I'm gonna lose my titanium elite status for 2021. So man, you know priorities, Sean. <laughs> that sounds really good in a pandemic. People are dying out there, and you're worried about whether or not you're gonna get the extra mint on your pillow. <laughs> on that not note, the mint. I just want I want the larger water bottle when I check in. So <laughs> they don't give you the hospitality uh, welcome that the uh, the traveling. It's not traveling secretaries. It's the team services guys. Yeah. Right. They get in their hotel room and there's always like a bucket of beer bottles and fancy cheeses and stuff. Yeah. You haven't gotten to that level yet, have you? I don't get that level now. That's, right. that's well, you something got to work out. If you bring yeah. in several thousand dollars of business every time you show up at a hotel, they, they give you everything. Yeah, I, I have. I mean, I did actually I did get that once because one time uh, two summers ago or, or three summers ago, uh, we went to Denver for my friends for for my friend's bachelor party, and just being the person who knew how hotels work and wanted to get all those points, I told everyone, "Don't worry, I'll book it. You can just Venmo me the money." And so I got my room. I got the whole. <laughs> <laughs> and that is how you get the, yeah. the hospitality packages. Bring in yes. a whole bunch. Of rooms. <laughs> On that note, the we have some star stuff to discuss specifically about what maybe we could see in the next week to 10 days about mm -hmm. some young guys attending stars training camp for the return to play. segment today we are going to touch on a couple of the young players and their status of who could turn from prospects to NHL players for the Dallas Stars. Sean you had an interesting piece regarding Ty Delandria you wrote this week and kind of wanted to expand on that a little bit but before we touch on Delandria and Thomas Harley their uh, highly sought after first round draft pick defenseman we have an update from your Shap Shots this week, which I thought was worthy of discussion because we did a segment about Roman Polak in our mm -hmm. last episode of the Quarcast. And you mentioned this week's column that the door is still open for Roman Polak. There, I mean, it's, it's, it's open. Jim Nill has left it open, but Roman Polak has made it well known to Jim Nill that he probably isn't going to change his mind. But... Um, Jim Nill and Roman Polak have spoken on the phone since that. Um, according to Nill, Polak has apologized for how that all came out. He hasn't changed his tune on that being what he wants to do. Um, I think you give Nill a lot of credit for in this where he has been straightforward. He says, if someone's making the best decision for their family, what they believe is the best decision for their family, I'm not going to stop them. But he did also leave it that says, hey, if, if Roman changes his mind and... He wants to come join us before we go into a bubble. He'll be welcomed, and that is something that I think is just. Um, I think I don't think that's going to happen, but I also think that is just kind of um, whether whether you agree or disagree with Jim Nill's hockey decisions. 
just kind of how he's handled things like this. We talked about Steven Johns quite a bit last week. Uh, how he's handled lots of things like this. Just I think it just kind of goes a little bit further to show from the human element of how Jim Nill does a really good job of treating people like people in cases like this. And I so. really appreciate the fact that the reporting from you was that he that Pollock was not happy about how and, and apologetic about how Nil found mm-hmm. out about his decision because yeah I mean I have I, we've talked about this before I don't hold any ill will or negative judgment towards Roman Pollock if that's what he feels like then he should do that I just and I'm sure he feels this way you don't want your boss to find out about your decisions through media reports you want to have that to be a face to face kind of thing yeah. So. so, anyway, that was interesting. Um, I, I don't expect Roman Polak to change no. his mind either, but I thought that was interesting. That, but it, you know, yeah. that's, it's, uh, it reminds you that there is always a change of heart. I mean, what happens if Roman Polak is sitting at home in the Czech Republic and feeling good about his decision, and then he sees a couple of Dallas Stars guys post on Instagram <laughs> them skating and goes, that's my team, I was part of it all year or, Sean, I hate to sound cynical, what happens if there's an injury on the blue line and suddenly Roman Pollock stands to play more? Could that change it? I mean, yeah. is, I'd be very curious if there was, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing once you enter the bubble, that's it. They can't bring more guys. No, no, they, like they can't, they, they can't. It's not like an injury could happen in game one of the playoffs and then you'd be able to bring him in. So this right. is something that would have to happen in July, not August. But, um I guess that's the other funny thing with like Roman. You mentioned social media. He's someone who has uh, <laughs> he, he he avoids social media at all costs. So I don't think he's going to see the Instagram post. But um, he says that. But he has a protected Instagram account. Yeah. Because I saw I don't know if it was something Roddick Fox posted that was a a, a quote. You know, like one of those uh, posting of somebody else's. Uh, Instagram yeah, stories yeah, yeah, yeah. of Pollock, and so then I tried to follow him. He yeah. hasn't approved me, so of course not. <laughs> but but I, I just wanted to watch. It's not because yeah. I want to report on him. I just want to yeah. laugh. If there's something funny that Roman Pollock, I have a feeling based on our interactions with him for the last couple of years, if he did post anything on social media, it'd be damn funny. <laughs> but anyway, um, th- it does open the door, Sean, uh, for Taylor Fadoon to get a chance to play again if Roman mm-hmm. doesn't show up. We talked about that last week. And it also opens the door for Thomas Harley to get a look along with some of the other young guys that were playing down with the Texas Stars that will most likely be at training camp. You mentioned the three Joels, Joels and yes. some other players that will be... Joel, J- Joel, J- Joel and company. Joel and company, <laughs> yep. And, um, and, and in... I just wonder whether or not Ty DeLandria or Thomas Harley are at the point where they've never played an NHL game officially. I mean, they've played preseason mm-hmm. games. Yeah. Look good, but again, a preseason game is not an NHL game, and it's not a playoff game. Yeah. Is it really feasible that they could play? Now, we're not entirely sure that they can, or we think we can. That they can play. We're, 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 from, from my understanding, they can. And I, from the people I've checked with, they can. Jim Nill is at the point where when I've spoken with him, he's 99.9% sure. But Jim Nill is not going to say they can play unless he has that certainty. Right. So that's one of those kind of... Because there's, there's these things where we talk about like Edmonton and Toronto are the hubs. 
but that's not finalized technically. This no. is kind of one of those things. This is let me let me just to clarify, just to kind of give one of the stories out there right now is with Minnesota and, and Kaprizov, right? Where the Minnesota Wild really want to bring Kaprizov in to play in this format. And Kaprizov played this year in the KHL. Um, he's one of their top prospects, but he was not signed to an NHL contract before March 12th. He did not have a contract for the 2019-20 season. Which is the, the Minnesota Wild for playoff eligibility. Uh, well, Correct? so the Wild, the Wild, the real, Minnesota's original plan um, was if he, if Minnesota had gotten to the playoffs in a normal year, which they probably wouldn't have, but if they had they would have probably signed him and probably burned a year of his contract and had him play in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. The league is not allowing him to do that because they don't have, he doesn't have a contract for the 2019-20 season. And they're not letting them sign a contract for the 2019-20 season. He can try to sign for 2020-21, but he's not eligible. Thomas Harley and Ty Delandria were already signed. Um, uh, Delandria has been signed for two years, Harley... Uh, Harley's been signed for a year. They were already signed to NHL contracts, so they were under NHL contract for this year. Right. So Harley signed they, right around camp, didn't he? Harley signed right around camp, and if you remember, Delandria signed right after the preseason game, not this season, but last season. Remember, he played his first NHL preseason game and then signed a contract Correct. right after it. Yep. So, yep. so Harley and Delandria should both be eligible to play. Um, and one of the main, and you, and you look at this story, and, and you look at kind of the storyline of them coming in, and whether they play or not, I think it'll be great for both of them. Just like I think it's just kind of the experience for both of them to be part of this. This is one of those moves of, hey, you want the, you want them to spend as much time around the NHL as possible. Because as we go to the future, Thomas Harley and Ty Delandria are going to be a big part of the Stars' right. future, I believe. The question is, is this more about having them practice and be around? Or do you think they're actually going to have a stand a chance to play a part in the... in Not... I could see, like we talked about this before, I could see them mixing things up in exhibition games and and in the round robin. But when it comes down yeah. to the real playoff games, the first round and on, if they can get past the first round, that's not where you're handing out Christmas presents, so to speak. No, and but so I, to, I'll put it this way. I think there is a greater chance of Ty Delandria playing than Thomas Hartley. Okay. Let me put it that way. I think Ty Delandria. I don't think Ty Delandria actually has an opportunity to win a job in camp. Like I think he's going to be given. I think he's going to be given every opportunity to be in the top fourteen, top fourteen forwards. I, I give. I believe that. And because of that, and because of the playoffs and the injuries, for that reason, I think Ty Delandria could play. Like I, I, I would if not be. I would up or feel yeah, you yeah, something from yeah, a game. Yeah, I like, can see that. Like I would not. I would not be surprised if we get to. But if, you don't if you're think in he's going to be a top twelve guy. Not not off the bat. No, I, I think like I like, but I wouldn't be surprised if I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked if you go into say say someone gets hurt or you have something like that, and all of a sudden Ty Delandry is your fourth line center for Game Four of the first round. That wouldn't surprise me. Sure. Um, I, that wouldn't surprise me, especially because I think he brings some versatility. Some of the other guys that um, like first Justin Dowling would right now when we went into the stoppage, Justin Dowling was the thirteenth forward. Right. For, right now, Justin Dowling would be your fourth line center in case of an injury. Um, the other guys, though, if you think about these other guys that are down there, Joel Esperance really doesn't play that game. Kivy Ranta's a winger. Robertson's a winger. If you had an injury yeah, that said, hey, we almost look at Rhett Gardner at that point. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think it's one of those where, in my mind, Gardner acquitted himself well, but I also think Delandria may, is a better player in my mind. I, I know he, had to, he has a higher ceiling than Gardner. 
and he may be a better player head to head right. too right now. Like I thought he was better than I thought he was much better than Gardner in the preseason. Now I only I don't have a actual NHL right uh, setup for for Delandria from real games other than preseason. Hmm. Um, and I also think Delandria acquitted himself well against some of the best players in his peer group at World Junior, playing that as that shutdown guy. So I think he could play. Thomas Harley, while exciting as people say, oh Harley could play, Harley could play. No NHL coach, not no, but NHL coaches, unless it's come something dire, when he already has Fadoon, he already has Joel Hanley, who he trusts, it's going to take a lot of injuries for them to trust a 19-year-old kid to throw into the fire for a first for first NHL action in the playoffs. And I just don't realistically see it happening. I, I don't see how Harley... I could see Harley playing, potentially playing in the round robin to fit something in, but even even in that case... Dallas is going to be saying, okay, we want to make sure Fadun is stress, fresh. We want to make sure Hanley's fresh. You want to make sure those guys that actually would step in or play. And so they may take the opportunity that Harley would get anyway. So I think Delandria will Delandria we could see play. I would not be surprised. I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't bet a lot on it, but I also wouldn't bet a lot against it. Thomas Harley, I feel rather confident saying, I unless you see two to three injuries, there's no way he's playing. Yeah. Because because of you can you can hide a if Ty Delandria comes in and the game, for lack of a better word, is too rich for him. You can you can you can you can go down to eleven forwards and it's okay. It's you yeah, can't it's tough to drop a defenseman that early, isn't it? You, yeah, you can't you can't really do that with five defensemen. It's, you can't really do that. So, um, like last year, the Stars did do it in the playoffs in the game that Dylan Hetherington played. They they played him in the game and he played he acquitted himself well in seven and a half eight minutes and that's fine. But you don't want to go into a game thinking you're going to have to do that. So. I think the Harley era, like I, I fully believe that, especially with where we're going with this cap world, I would be kind of more surprised if Thomas Harley doesn't play in the NHL next year because you look at how teams are going to have to manage finances. Uh, but I think the Thomas Harley era in Dallas, I don't think it starts with this playoff. Like I think it starts now. Ty Delandria, there is, there are those factors there that could definitely play out because we're also going to find out who comes in in shape, who who doesn't come in shape, and obviously. There are some players that are going to be in better shape and taking the off time more seriously than others. Just it's, that's that's a fact, and I'm not saying I'm not naming any names one way or another because I don't know any names one way or another. But you're going to have some guys, some players, whether it's Dallas or somewhere else, is going to get hurt because and maybe not because of how they trained, maybe yes. just simply because that happens at every training camp, even when they've had a plan all through an off season. Is getting back up to that intensity level is hard to do, no matter how hard you train in the summer. Yep. Those first couple of actual games, you start to feel the soreness and the pain, and and guys get hurt. And and I'm not hoping for any of that, but it's no, going to no, happen. No. So yeah. whether it's the Dallas Stars or one of the other teams, somebody's no. going to get a muscle tweak or a pull or a tweak yeah. a knee because that's what happens when you play contact sports. Yeah, like and we talked about. So we talked about Harley and Delandria, but the other players kind of from the that bubble that are going to kind of be up there. The guys who played in the NHL this year who I think you could see in the play, who could have an who potentially have an impact in the playoffs. I think Robertson is a name you have to keep an eye on because Robertson is a name where when he came up and played, he showed he could help create offense. And he's someone who may be able to give, even get into the lineup without an injury happening. Right. If just hypothet- hypothetical if Like, for if example, he start- if you wanted to add him on a fourth line and a power play role. Yeah, or or even if you wanted to say, you know what, let's 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 let the kid let's let the kid run, let's let's try and throw him on the first line and split some sure. some depth down. Like like Robertson, someone I could see 
say the Stars' offense is struggling and, and you've got zero goals in the first two games of a series. You know right. what? Put it, put him in. So he's someone I could see like that. Um, I don't see as many opportunities like that for like a Lesperance or a Ranta or something like that. I think those are guys that are going to have to get in through injury yeah. because they don't really bring an element um, that Robertson brings as being able to change the game. And, and Delandria, I think it can be that second-line center. I think he can be. Um but I don't think he's there yet. I think he is more of the kind of hybrid 2-3 where on a really good team, um, on a really good team, he's either your second line center that's that's unlocking lineups for you. Like he, he to me, Delandria is a guy who's like a more skilled Radic Foxa. That's what I kind of look at his at his ceiling. Not, I'm not saying he's there right now because Radic Foxa... Um, We've talked about it before. Everyone says, oh, well, the Stars could just replace Radic Fox with Jason Dickinson. People forget how good Radic Fox is at his job. Yes. But Ty Delandria, and I'm not saying it's at that moment, but Ty Delandria has that ceiling to be a more skilled Radic Fox to really unlock some lineups and, and, and be the uh, be that more guy. He of that... an offensive threat. Not saying that Fox yes. can't, but maybe some trickery that we haven't seen. Yeah. I, either way. With, I don't know if and, he'll ever be as physical as Radic because Radic is. No, a, no. He's like the mule out there. Uh, big, strong. He's not slow. Um, yeah. He can. He doesn't get pushed off the puck much. I mean, he is a monster of a human being. Fox is very much, and it's funny that you say the mule because this popped into my head. Fox is is has elements of a Johan Franz into him, mm-hmm. but is ah, that's funny. But yeah. is <laughs> but but is it's funny. It's it's but not as obviously not the. Uh, but he's never been like the net front guy like that Franzen was. Right. Where yeah. For, well, that his, was his uh, bread and butter. <clears throat> yeah. Excuse me. So. Um, all right. Well, that is an interesting thing to look forward to because by the time the other the other ex- oh, you have one more thing to add. I want to add one other thing Please. just on just on Delan- just on on Delandria. Just as far as someone who I think will be a part of this NHL roster potentially next season, and even if he doesn't make the opening night for 2020-21, I think he'll play NHL games next year. Um, he is the type of um, Delandria is a sponge, for lack of a better word. Delandria is the person who. The stars will want him in the bubble because he will be, he'll watch these games. After games, he'll go up to Tyler Sagan and say, hey, I saw you did this on that face-off against that guy. Why did you do that? Yeah. Like that, That's the type of person Delandria is. And I've had those conversations with Delandria where him and I have talked, even when he's in junior, where he's, he's asked me about, hey, how did, like, just even after we've talked, even when we're not doing an interview, he's talked and we've had conversations where he's like, hey, I saw they matched up this guy versus that guy. Like, he is a someone who... He's a hockey mind who takes so much in that they're going to want to put in that bubble because it's just going to, he's going to soak all of it in even if he doesn't play a second. Well, it'll be very interesting to see if, even if it's just like you bring in guys to be part of the Black Aces to experience the playoffs or experience the NHL, if that's yeah. it, that'll be beneficial for guys like Delandria and Harley. It'll be interesting if they can, if that turns into more than just that. But Sean. Yes. We have a deep dive to get into next. The Hockey Hall of Fame induction class was announced a couple of weeks ago. You and your colleagues at The Athletic did a mock version of it and opened up some very interesting talking points that we have to get into next.
dive into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And a couple of weeks ago, the 2020 Hockey Hall of Fame class of inductees was announced. And they named six people, five men and one woman, four from the player category, Jerome Ginla, Marion Hosa, Kevin Lowe, and Doug Wilson, Kim St. Pierre from the women's division, and Ken Holland in the builders class. Of course, the longtime GM of the Detroit Red Wings, now of the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, but this segment is not so much about those players and what they meant to the game of hockey. I think we could do that, Sean, and probably fill 20 minutes without blinking. But that's not what we wanted to do here because you and your colleagues at The Athletic, uh, probably, I think it's fair to say, spearheaded by Eric Duhatchek, yep. decided to, uh, because he actually s sat on the Hall of Fame uh, induction committee, for what, 15 years? 15 which is years, the yep. maximum. I think yep, he that's said the maximum we're allowed to. 2004 to 2019? Uh, so his, his last induction was 2018. Okay, was part so of. 04 to 18. Yeah. And, um, he, and so he knows firsthand what it's like to be on the committee and the rules. But, you know, I, for example, didn't know anything about the rules of how they were doing it. I hadn't ever looked into it. And yeah. Article, and I don't think it's really been. I don't think it's really been out there, like publicly, really I, well, well. I think either. it's always been shrouded in secrecy. Yeah. Because, and yeah. I don't think, I think they kind of wanted that because yeah. in the article that you were, you actually were one of the eighteen volunteers because there's eighteen mm -hmm. members of the actual committee, and so you guys yep. had eighteen hockey writers sitting on this, and it was from all over the country, which was really fun. And you know, I I think that, and Eric said this in his write up of your big mock hall of fame balloting that you did that they want anonymity so that people can speak freely pros and cons without being sort of maligned for years afterwards of you didn't let this guy in for this reason or you selected you voted this way i understand a way why ballots are, are not public and and why nominations are are kept quiet but some of the rules that came up and maybe that's what we should debate is not yeah. so much whether or not there should be public uh, more transparency in this, but just the fact that uh, there are some restrictions just based on how they set it up that, that lead to some interesting consequences. Yeah, and, and so like one of the things that I would have never in the past I've been I've been we've all been critical of Hall of Fame snubs or wondered things and things like that. Like for example. This year, I think Alexander McGillney is someone who went in in our mock shadow committee, but was not elected by the actual Hockey Hall of Fame. I think, pers I personally think he should be in for a couple of reasons, but but the point being, we don't know if he was ever actually discussed. And so one of the one of the things one of the things that this kind of I had never realized is the amount of people. That, and I, I know you can only discuss a select amount anyway, but I did not realize how limited it was of being able to nominate people for consideration for the Hall of Fame. There's an 18-person committee, and each person on the committee is allowed to nominate one player and one builder if they'd like. And about that player aspect, and this is something that I'm not an expert or have, have kind of... I have a bit of a blind spot when it comes to women's hockey and who should or shouldn't be in, in the Hockey Hall of Fame. There. Yeah, I'm with you on um, that. And, and there's there's a couple names here and there that I've heard, but I, I'm not the best judge of that, and that's something that I would love to be able to rectify. But um, 
But the one thing I can say on that is when you go through and you nominate with each each member of the committee being able to nominate one player, male or female. So if you nominate a female player, you can't nominate a male player and vice versa. I think that probably inevitably leads to less um, deserving women not getting into the Hockey Hall of Fame. because, And I, I think that's a flaw in this process where if you had, I'm, I'm sure there have been times and as much as Eric, we would try and pry and get information out of Eric, he did sign a non, non-disclosure once you leave the committee. So he can't really talk about everything that happened in the committee or stuff like that. Um, but if, if you're able to not, if you, if you have someone, if you were able to nominate both a male and female player and not have to worry about taking one nomination away from the other, I think you would have more, you, you would have a better representation of, women's hockey players that should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. The other issue, too, about it, and it just kind of plays into this, is um, you can elect up to four men's players and up to two women's players. And I think that is something that maybe for 2020 seems a little bit off. Maybe um, I feel like there's enough out there now where you should be able to... That shouldn't be a limit of you can only elect two less women's players. Um, the other, the other, The other side of that that's just kind of interesting and you and you look how how it plays out i don't think the other the other thing i learned and we'll talk a little bit more about this going through the process just because you can get four players in doesn't mean four players are going to get in so it's not like you're right. going to say oh we let four women's players i mean this this the, the men's class for this year only had three players they did not get four players in um in in the actual hall of fame induction so i i think there's i have that issue with that um the other thing and we can kind of discuss this one of the things that I believe it should be hard to get into the Hall of Fame. I, I truly believe that. It's the Hall of Fame. It is Right. It's it, not a it's not a, a club for everybody. Yes, it, it it should be hard to get into. I also think that getting 14 out of 18 votes while that is hard to get, I also think I don't I don't like the concept. I, it's kind of sat weird with me. I don't like the concept that five people can keep someone out of the Hall of Fame. Like, like, just like, like, for example, let's just use McGillamy as someone who I think should be in. If 90, like a lot of the world looks at, if, if you, if you say you were to do the baseball style election, where I think, I think there's like 120 voters or something like that. And, and everyone gets 10 votes and stuff like that. And you have to get X amount. If, if you did that type of balloting and it had that type of votership for Hall of Fame, McGillamy probably would get 90% of the votes. Like just, just, just hypothetical. But if you have five people who don't think he's a Hall of Famer on that committee, then it keeps somebody out. Like I, so I don't know, um, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because I, I think it should be tough to get in. I think I think it's good to have a, um, I, th- I think it is good to have high standards and make it difficult to get in. But I also think that we shouldn't have just five people able to stop somebody from getting in. And on the flip side. We don't know what the biases are of the 18 people. Like, for example, I look at the, and this is no disrespect to, to, to Kevin Lowe, but I, I don't think Kevin Lowe's a Hall of Famer. Like, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. And we don't know, we don't really have any transparency of why or how he was discussed. And so, I mean, Kevin Lowe was good. He was a very good player. He, he should have been, he, he, he was a very good player. He won lots of Stanley Cups with the Oilers. Great. But was he a Hall of Fame player? I, I don't think so. And some and people would argue and say that they think that, that that he is, and so that's part of the fun of the yeah. debate. But you're right. Oh yeah, that's part of the fun of the debate, and it's and it's the other thing too of 
what what should who should and who who should go into the Hall of Fame and and and, and things like that. Um, there, to me, the system is somewhat flawed. Like, I have more respect for the people who actually go through this now, just the people as the committee. Just I have more respect for how difficult this is when we went through and sat through all this. Like, right. I mean, the fact, the fact in, in the past, like, I would have, you would have said, if someone said, oh, well, so when, when we did our shadow committee for the athletic, um, Daniel Alfredson got zero votes. Zero votes from 18 people. He was and, nominated. And I will give He was nominated. He was one he, of the nominees. He was nominated, but he got zero votes. And so you think about it, you see all of these stories coming up before the Hall of Fame from all of these writers and reporters saying, oh, there's a Hall of Famer right here in Ottawa, and it's Daniel Alfredson and everything like that. And then even our Ottawa writer who nominated him, she, through our conversations and talks, didn't vote for him. And it's it's one of those things where you realize, so I've gained more respect for, okay, this is difficult. Like, this is this is not well, easy. as actually bring an interesting point up, Sean, because yeah. you nominated... Yes. The only reason I know that because they didn't talk about they talked about the nominees, but not who was the nominee specifically, unless it came up with something well, else and, for and the there, and nominees or something like that. And there's a second story actually that has all the no, who right. nominated whom. Yeah, I haven't so, looked through that yeah, yeah, with all yeah, the bios yeah. that were written yeah. up. I'm sure yeah. I could dig that, but you had told yeah. me that you nominated Yuri Lettinen. But what mm -hmm. I was going to bring up as I, I jotted this note down yeah. reading this article yeah. in The Athletic was you didn't actually vote for Yuri Lettinen. No, I didn't. I so, didn't. Scott, Scott Burnside gave me crap for that. <laughs> I bet he did. <laughs> um, the, uh, no, I, and so just to be honest, and this is one of those things where I felt like Yuri, I felt like the Hall of Fame last year by electing Guy Carboneau, and I think Guy was a very good player. I... To me, Guy is right on the edge of Hall of Very Good versus Hall of Fame. Like, to, just like, just that's my opinion. Like, sure. he is, like, he is, he is the player that you, you know what? He is a great in Montreal Canadiens history. He should be honored for that and everything like that. But is he a Hall of Famer? I, I don't really, I don't really necessarily agree with that. Um, but him being put into the Hall of Fame made me stop and think. Okay, we should discuss Yuri Lettinen because we're talking about best defensive forwards, and we're talking about guys who have won multiple Selkies, and Carboneau being in there, Ganey being in there, Lettinen's peers, by by that definition, are in the Hall of Fame. And and you have Yuri won three Selkies, but the problem is you look at Yuri's overall numbers, and while this and while he did win gold at the IHF World Championships, and he did win some Olympic bronze medals, um, he never played a thousand games. His statistical numbers were were okay. Like he only played 875 games. His statistical numbers were good, but not great. And he was he was a very he was a great defensive player, and he was a great player. But when you stop and you look at the comparison of how who should get in and who shouldn't, um, I I felt it was uh, I I felt. Of all the players we nominated, I actually didn't vote for four. Like that that's the other thing. That's the other thing that kind of surprised myself as I were going through all of this. That is, was interesting too, Sean, is that if you're wondering what the how this works out, if you haven't read yeah. the article, yeah. you can nominate I mean, in theory, you had eighteen members of your shadow committee. Yeah. You could have had eighteen male skaters yeah. players nominated. You ended up with thirteen. You had two yep. females. Which actually on a side note, I found interesting is that there were three candidate or three me committee members who did not nominate a player correct or i don't know if maybe that was a duplicate 
or situation or something no, like that? No, we, 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 we didn't have any duplicates. Okay. Like, just to, to give you, for example, our NHL editor, uh, if you saw her, Sarah Goldstein is our NHL editor. She only voted for one player. Yes. In all of this. She was she did not, with that. But, but she did not nominate Ginla, but she knew someone who was going to nominate Ginla, and so she's like, okay, I don't think anyone else is worth nominating. Fair and that's fine. And I, and I don't remember who else didn't nominate people, but, but that's just an example. Here's my thought. Um, yeah. You're only allowed to vote in the male category, or I guess technically mm -hmm. in the women's category as well, mm -hmm. uh, for a maximum of four players. And two in the women's category, but okay, we so only had two. two. Okay. In so the women's category. In the men's, you can count for You can vote, vote for four. But let's yeah. say you think that five of the candidates, whether mm -hmm. there's 10 or 20 candidates, yeah. that you think are Hall of Fame worthy, you have to decide this guy or that guy. Did you come in? I mean, you only had three votes, I think, in the first round. Yeah. Did you? So maybe you didn't feel that way, but a lot of people voted for four. So yeah. then the question is, are they voting for four because they have the ability to vote for four? They felt that they belonged in there. I mean, there's all sorts of different dynamics of, and, and Eric in his, in that write up mentioned that the maximum of four votes was a bit restricting of maybe I would have voted for this guy because I think he belongs, but I can't vote for five. I, I had that discussion more in the builder category because in the builder category, you could only vote for two. And there was three guys who I thought sure. should have been, who I, who I, who I felt should have been in. Um, for on the player category, how I looked at it and how I think we kind of had this whole discussion uh, as a group when we're talking about this is um, like for me, one of the interesting ones was, was Doug Wilson in our, in our first round of voting, Doug Wilson only got nine votes. Okay. And Doug Wilson got nine votes in our second round of voting. I'm pulling it up here. He course, got 14. He got the four Doug is of the category of a uh, probably could get in maybe on the borderline as a player by himself. He, he yeah. got in, in the official vote. He got in as a player. But, but also I, I, as a coach, or I and I, and a coach I, as a general manager. Which but you're not supposed to vote on that. This is just player. Right, and, and, and he was nominated as a player, not as a builder. Not as a builder. And, and, so, and in the official Hall of Fame class, he, along with again Hosa and Kevin Lowe, made it in that category. Yes, and so, I, well, he, he didn't, um, he, well, Doug Wilson didn't get in in the actual Hall of Fame class. Didn't he? I, I swear I wrote no. it down as such. Are you sure? No, it's uh, it was again Lahosa. Yeah, no, yeah, well, no, he was. Sorry, sorry, miss, misspeak. Okay, so I, um, uh, for um, you for a minute had me really doubting myself. <laughs> no, 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 no. He was, and I, I, I don't think Doug Wilson's a Hall of Famer. I think he's very good. And but so for there's and I was curious because we had this conversation afterwards. Of I was curious because we had five people who did not vote for Doug Wilson in the first round. That's right. That when we went to the second runoff round, voted for him, and gave him uh, the, the, the decide to vote for him. And in our conversations, a lot of the people said, well, yeah, if I had five votes in the first round, he would have been my fifth vote. I respect uh, Sarah Goldstein for not voting for anybody in round two. Of and, that. that's, and, that's, and, that's, and that's fair. She and stuck I, to I her, her convictions on that. And I, I respect that, too. And then for me, that's like, so I, I wasn't nearly as, as stringent as Sarah was, but I only voted for one person in the second round. Yes. And our, our second round of voting. McGinley all the way. I voted for McGill I voted for my, my original ballot. Like I, when we went through all these presentations, and you're listening to the three of them, I felt okay. Vernon, Aginla, and McGillney, those are the three that I thought were um, okay. Those 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 three are Hall of Famers. The other ones are. I I don't think Marion Hosa is a Hall of Famer. Like I think Marion Hosa was very good. He was very good, but like I don't think Marion Hosa is a Hall of Famer. I don't think Marion Hosa is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Like like you look at. You look at the comparison, and and that's well, and that's I'll fine. Tell you what it, you said, first ballot Hall of Famer. 
Mm -hmm. So does that mean you think he could get in down the road? Um, no. Like, I mean, I, like, well, he like, did get in. He did get in. Right, but I mean, like, but, but I'm talking about from your perspective. Jerome McGinley got it. Everybody voted for him yeah, yes. on your shadow mm -hmm. committee. Yeah. He, of course, was inducted in the Hall of Fame. I, I, I would imagine he was 18 for 18 on that, too, even though we'll never I know. I can't imagine it wasn't yeah. unanimous. Yeah. Uh, Marion Hosa was inducted into the Hall of Fame yeah. this year. Uh, you guys in your shadow group, were he was two votes shy in the first round. He ended up getting in after the second wave of voting. Um, I mean, does it, it's because well, here's the weird thing, Sean, is that I don't know if it works this way in hockey, but in baseball, a lot of people talk about, well, like, eventually he'll get in, but he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. And, uh, and, and I, I, and I, I just I, think I that you're either a Hall I, of Fame guy or you're not. And no, and that's what I think. Like, I, I just, I, 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 when I said first ballot Hall of Famer, I was just talking about, hey. No, and I, but I mean, that, that's a bit of my... I, I, I was talking about... Yeah, I would, but my when I said first ballot, I was talking about the narrative because all of a sudden, right. so Sean McAdoo brought it up, who is better known as Down Goes Brown. He brought this up when we we're talking, and he actually voted for Hosa. But one thing he brought up in our conversation it says, "How did Marion Hosa go from this guy who was really good to all of a sudden we're talking about him as first ballot Hall of Famer, right. yet none of us nominated Rod Brendamore? Like that is that is the and." And it's not as though everybody on your committee nominated somebody. And, yeah. I mean, you had slots that you could have brought some of these guys in. Yeah. And, I like, for example, Brendamore is someone I would have loved to have the discussion about because I He's think... one of the guys you, you were going to bring this up today. Yeah. And ask me this. You're yeah. going to kind of yeah. put me on the spot. So I was prepared yeah. for that. Yeah. He's yeah. one of the guys... I, I have three players. Now, there's more on the yeah. list. I was scanning through guys that are Hockey Hall of Fame eligible and... Mm -hmm. and who might have the numbers to hold up against that group. Yeah. There's three guys that really stand out, and the one that was yeah. most surprising to me was Brindamore because he has yeah. almost 1,500 games played, and he has almost 1,200 career points. Yeah. Aside from the fact that he seems to be establishing himself as a strong NHL coach as well, but that's separate. Yeah. Pierre Turgeon has over 500 career goals, 1,327 points, I feel like he should be in that nomination, at least to be in the discussion, if not. I mean, he's, yeah. he's look, and, and I'm, I'm really surprised that Shane Doan wasn't on your nomination. Now, not you specifically, but yeah. your group. I yeah. don't know if he was in the NHL or the Hockey Hall of Fame uh, discussions or not, but Shane Doan, to me, is, in many ways, what Jerome Ginla is to the Calgary Flames, Shane Doan is to the Phoenix slash Arizona Coyotes, and he is a, he is a stature, but but Jerome Ginla is a better player. Jerome Ginla, I'm not trying yeah, to say yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I was surprised that Shane Doan wasn't nominated. And, and that's fair. Player. I mean, that, those three: Brindamore, Turgeon, and Shane Doan. I was going through, and there's a whole bunch of other guys. Yeah, like for and example, I'll go to, I'll, you know, I think there's a debate about Keith Kachuk because of all the goal scoring yeah. he had, and Theo Fleury, and and Gonchar. Yeah. We'll get to goalies in a minute. But, and, I'll, and I'll go this far on Brendamore, just because it's something where this is something where we had such a – we're going to actually – we're going to try and do this again next year as far as next year. And, and, our, our, and, and knock on wood, we're hoping maybe we can do this in person at the draft. It'd be kind of fun to get us all in this. Well, and, and it's it, not a – it's a lengthy process. This is not yeah, a 15-minute discussion. And, and so, like, we would definitely – we definitely would enjoy to doing this over beers at some bar in Montreal as opposed to doing I it over Slack. I think bar would like the tab at the end of a three- yeah. or four-hour – Writers debate, and, but we would. I, 
I'm just laughing at if, the idea yeah. of having Burnside and uh, did, LeBron wasn't part of this group. I'm surprised. No, he wasn't. I'm surprised no, no. if you get those two together, it could be really fun. Yeah. But I would have if, if I, I I think I don't know for certain, but when we do this process next year, I'd probably nominate Brendamore and I'd probably vote for Brendamore. Like if if I I only thought three guys were eligible and to kind of go through not eligible, three guys were worthy of right. my vote. Um, and to Ginla, it's, it's a no-brainer. For me, the thing that one of the – it was Mogilny's numbers and his play, but the other thing about it that Scott Wheeler brought up in his presentation that I thought was really powerful and important is Alexander Mogilny opened the door for so many Russians to come to the NHL. Sure. He, he defected and he, and, and, and he opened the door for so many things, and that's part of me of what the Hockey Hall of Fame is about. He was a trailblazer, and he opened the NHL, helped open the NHL to what it is now. To me, Marion Hossa was very good. He wasn't a trailblazer, and he was just very good. Mark Lazarus was very angry at me that I didn't vote for him, but that's okay. <laughs> yes, um, but Mark, being a big Simpsons guy, would appreciate your jokes about the dome. That's true. Uh, and then, and so to me, but Brendan Moore to me would have been would have kind of fit that his play would have been good enough to be a Hall of Thing. Plus, you look at he was that his play combined with. He had what Yuri had with the higher level play everywhere else. Like if you, like Rod Brendamore's resume he is like Yuri's. The he was like Mike. Uh, Dallas Stars fans would know the comparison with Mike Keane. Rod Brendamore mm-hmm. was Mr. Fit, right? He was yeah. the fitness guy, the guy in the gym, the the Mr. Universe bodybuilding yeah. type. Where and I'll never forget this. I was working for the Albany River Rats back in. Oh, I think it was the 08-09 season. It was my second year with them. We were the at the time the Carolina Hurricanes AHL affiliate, and we had games against the then Norfolk Admirals, which were at the time affiliated with the Tampa Bay Lightning. It was after they had been affiliated with Chicago for a while. And so we're down in Virginia because it was uh, at the time we didn't travel west. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was all the, the Norfolk yeah. trip was, was like an eight, nine hour bus ride, and it was the longest trip we did. We didn't get on a plane and fly like the Western teams do. Yeah. And we had a we had a, a trip. It was you know, you go down in three or four days and you play two games. Usually we play like a Thursday, Saturday or a, a Wednesday, Friday or something like that. So we had a game and then we had an off day between games and myself and our athletic trainer hopped in the car and we rented a car and drove to Raleigh from, from Norfolk and went to a Carolina Hurricanes game. And we ended up actually taking one of our players back to the AHL to Norfolk <laughs> in the car with us, which yeah. was really fun. But I remember um, our uh, a head coach my first year in Albany was Tom Rowe. And Tom Rowe went on to then be an assistant in Carolina the next year. And Jeff Daniels, who was an assistant and is now an assistant in Carolina again, was our head coach at that time. And so Tom is Paul Maurice's, one of his assistants, um, this year. And this was before, yeah. obviously, Maurice went to Winnipeg. And so Tom said, yeah, come on down. I'll show you the locker room. So we got a tour of the locker room after the game was over. And I'll never forget, as Tom is taking us around, and we met Paul Maurice, and he was very polite and nice and said hello and saw a couple players after they were, you know, doing their thing. I hear this just like, it was like Ivan Drago noise. And Rod Brindamore is in the, the Hurricanes gym in their locker room setup, just throwing weights around. And this is after the game. And I knew players did some exercising and workouts after games, although not like I know now. I mean, this, yeah. is, this is 12 years ago. Rod Brindamore was destroying the weight room, not 
literally, but figuratively. Yeah. And uh, I think Tom Rowe, our, our then Hurricanes assistant, my former head coach there, goes, yeah, that's what he always does. That's just, yeah. a, and so that my point is, is that for all the numbers that fit, you know, the games played, the points, yeah. the, the longevity of career, he also was one of the guys back then. I mean, I'm not saying that all the guys weren't in shape. Yeah, Rod Brindamore set the bar for fitness in a lot of ways. And, and the other thing too about Rod, Rod Brindamore is the thing where he's the type of person where if, like, so we see the, this media groundswell for Daniel Alfredson because. Of like, oh, look what he did for Ottawa. Look what he did for Ottawa. If anyone is saying Daniel Alfredson should be in the Hall of Fame, then you're sa- then look at what Rod Brendamore did for Carolina. That is the other thing well, too. Like that, that is the sort of like, the line I was talking about, Shane Doan. Yeah, and, and, and but and, Rod Brendamore won a Stanley Cup. Right? Is that enough? Is yeah. what you do for yeah. one franchise enough, or do you have to match it with like what Aginla did on the ice? And I think Brendan Moore actually did match with what he did in right. the He captained a team that won a Stanley Cup. He was he won two Selkies, I believe. He he was his point totals were that. And, and the other thing about Brendan Moore too that he did, just as far as you talk about trailblazing and kind of just being someone, look at what he did on faceoffs too. He was someone who, in an era where we started to get away from the being important, he continued to prove they were so. He was so dominant in that realm too. So he is someone just to long elongated point of. Next year when we go through this exercise, I will probably nominate Brendamore and vote for Brendamore. The That's other person I voted, the other person who I voted for who didn't get in, um, and we were going to talk to you in a segue is I voted for Mike Vernon. Ooh, this is going to be the longest segment of this, a yeah. part of this segment. Yes, I voted for Mike Vernon. Can I who, interject one thing yeah, quickly yeah. because this the goalie thing will be the last part of this yeah, yeah, segment. Yeah. I was, I was, it was striking to me, and I don't have any op, uh, suggestions on this, but that none of the 18 members of your shadow committee nominated a referee or linesman category because the rules are you can vote for a, you can nominate mm-hmm. a player, male or female, yep. and also a builder or a referee slash linesman. So, and just like the players, they have to be out of the game for at least three seasons before they yep. are eligible. That's why Shane Doan is in his first year this year and so on and so forth. I'm not saying there's anybody that I, off the top of my head, should be nominated, but I just I thought it was interesting that there were eight builders nominated out of 18 yeah. members of your committee, no referees or linesmen. So I just had to, I had to bring that up. Yeah. And, and on that note, I, just, I think that's one of those things where um, I don't feel well-versed enough to say which linesmen sure. should or shouldn't be nominated or referee. So I don't feel well-versed enough in that. Um, and it's, uh, I, th- I think that's something where I don't know who makes up the 18 person committee. Like we don't have, we didn't ha- we don't have any former referees on our committee. Right. Like we, we don't have, like I would be, I'd be one, I'd be fascinated to see if the actual hockey hall of fame committee, if they have someone who says who, who could at least be an expert in that and it say, Hey, be, it would be neat yeah. if you had a guy like Paul Stewart or, uh, mm-hmm. Carrie Frazier I'm just naming some of the well-known yeah. ex-referees yeah. that I know. Yeah. Wouldn't, you know, Bill McCreary, because they know not just all those yeah. guys, but they also know what it's like to be a referee at the top level and what makes a really good one versus one. You know, because, like, in current referees, we know. Like, I know Gord Dwyer a little bit from yeah. skating with him, and he, you know, he makes yeah. his home in Frisco, so I've gotten to see him a few times. He's a great guy. He's gotten to, to referee some really top-level stuff, Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah. I mean, 
we, but, but we all talk about current guy Daniel Halloran or Wes McCauley because he's very emphatic when he announces penalties and stuff. Yeah. That is that really enough? No, yeah, and that's the other thing. How do you properly judge referees? Right. Where um, how do you properly judge referees? Where so many of us, when we watch the game, and you know, I've talked about this. If a referee is doing a good job, we never recognize them. We never notice they're there. Right. So, like, if we, if we, if if you look up, it, it's it's like, it, it's just a natural thing. If you and I look up the name of a referee doing that game, like intentionally, it's because they missed a call. That's the only way we ever look up a game. Usually, it's, right? It's, you don't think like, oh, yeah, Gordy usually. had a great game tonight. Yeah. You know, I sometimes will yeah. look because I want to see if he's doing a Stars game because I might yeah, stop yeah, yeah, by yeah. and say hello at the event level beforehand and just chat with him for a minute because he and Bruce and I... But during the game... But, but during the yeah. game, it's not like, oh, that was awesome. It was, okay, yeah. it's only if something comes up that's controversial. All right, yeah. so let's move to goalies because, Sean, this is going to take this, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> you nominated you. You didn't nominate Mike Vernon, but you wanted to vote for him. He didn't get enough yeah. votes. In fact, he was the only goalie out of the thirteen uh, members of the mm-hmm. men's category that was nominated by your group. Again, we're using yep. this as a reference point because we don't have any of this information from the actual Hockey yes. Hall of Fame uh, correct committee. So Eric, uh, just just for point of reference, Eric is actually the one who nominated Mike Vernon. So okay. that's actually this is the one one where you wonder where. And Eric can't tell us this because he signed the NDA, but I wonder if Eric also... I don't think it's crazy to think Eric has probably f- stumped for Mike Vernon when he was still on the committee. I was just, oh, look, I, Eric's in Calgary. Yeah, Vernon, yeah, yeah, played, yeah. a lot of his career played for the Flames yeah. before he yeah. was with the Canucks. Yep. I wouldn't so. be surprised at that at all. Um, yeah. You voted for him. Only three other members of the committee yep. in the first round of balloting voted for him. And so he was the highest vote getter of the large group that didn't make it to round two of the balloting. I was the only non-Canadian to vote for him. That's interesting. <laughs> well, okay, but this, this opens yeah, up yeah. a much bigger issue is that goaltenders yeah. tend to be underrepresented in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Now, yep. there are fewer of them than skaters just by nature of the, the way the rules are, right? You have yeah. 20 players in a lineup, one goalie one backup goalie, and 18 skaters. So, Correct. of course, there's more opportunities to pick and choose than this. But, you know, Sean, I looked at the list of some of the players, of the goalies that are not in the Hockey Hall of Fame that are eligible. How is Tom Barrasso not in the Hall of Fame? How is Chris Osgood not? I mean, the ones that I wrote down real quickly of that group were I... Tom Barrasso, Chris Osgood, Curtis Joseph, Mike Richter, and Mike Vernon. And now they all have dif- different things to argue about. but I they, can debate Osgood. I don't think Osgood's a Hall of Famer. But, uh, <laughs> you should see his numbers, his games played, his, his wins, and his yeah, Stanley no. Cup. But, 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 let's, but for example, Richter and Vernon both, I don't know how they're not in right. at all. That, is, that to me is in Barrasso, too. Well, Those three. Richter, not just yeah. for his play with the Rangers, but also with the United States, with the, international, mm-hmm. with the national team. Yeah. Um, but Barrasso, I mean, talk about a guy that fits all the boxes, I thought, right? I mean... So anyway, and Curtis Joseph has massive numbers from a long yeah. and very successful career. I just see these and I go, and then there's others on that goalie list we could get into, but how do you, is this also flawed because you can only nominate one, one skater, one player, whether it's male, mm-hmm. female, skater, or goalie, yeah. that makes it even harder because you can't, I mean, I guess you don't want to have 50 nominees a year. It'd take too long, right? I, I don't think you need to now make a nominated goalie category. I, I think just the women, the men's and females category should be split. Okay. I just think people voting, 
I think people voting have under have undervalued goalies. That's what I think it is. I think sure. you look at like okay, which is amazing. I, I was I was when we talk about winning hockey. What is it? It's special teams yeah. and goaltending all the time. We yeah. always say that. And, and and so for me, I was more I was more surprised. One of the most surprising parts of the vote for me. A was that Daniel Alfredson got zero votes. I didn't think Alfredson was going to get in, but like based off our conversations, I was surprised that Daniel Alfredson got zero votes. Are you because, surprised that because just like you that Haley didn't even vote for her own nominee? Well, we don't know who. Here's the thing: it's an anonymous. We it is public after we went through it. This was one of the great reveals of all this. Right. We voted. We voted anonymously. Well, all right. But well, I'm just there, saying. Are you surprised that when it came down yes, to I, it? I, yeah, I mean, I, I, at least three I, of that t- those happened because Steve Larmer in your group was nominated and got zero votes. Daniel Alfredson, yeah. and then you, of course, nominated Yuri Lettinen and didn't vote yeah. for him. So we know yeah. at least three times that happened. At, le- at least three times it happened. And it was one of those where um, I – so that surprised me. And I was surprised myself, too, about Yuri. But then the other thing, I was surprised that Mike Vernon only got four votes. Yeah. Like, to me, I like he was someone who, when we're going through this and Eric's talking and we're going through our presentation – He's one of those things where I'm like, how is Mike Vernon not already in the Hall of Fame? Like that's that's that was one of those for me. Like, like he is. Well, or he the should, fact that Kevin he, Lowe in your group only got two votes. And I don't think got, Kevin Lowe's a Hall of Fame. Got invu- in, inducted in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that that one was. I, I don't think Kevin Lowe's a Hall of Famer. I, I think he is a Hall. That topic. I, I know. But uh, well, that, that's one of the things we were talking about when we do. We're still figuring out when we do our shadow mock committee for next year. Do we use this twenty? Do we use the twenty twenty class of ours, or do we use the twenty twenty class for? So do we continue to not vote for Kevin Lowe? Um, like, <laughs> um, now he's no longer eligible because he's technically in the Hall of Fame. Yes. So, oh, uh, but I, I was surprised. I, I was surprised. Only three people, uh, three other people, voted for Mike Vernon. Um, I think it's one of those where he should be in. Mike Richter should be in. We talked about the. And I, th- I think it's one of those where, where people don't really... I think it's it goes back to an age-old debate writers have every single year um, of should a goalie be the MVP? And I think it goes, I think it goes back to a, 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 a micro-conversation we have every single year on our heart ballot. Should a goalie be an MVP? I had that same conversation this year. I'm not supposed to tell everyone what's on my ballot, so I won't give the whole thing, but Connor Hellebuck is on my heart ballot. So... I had the. I won't say where because I'm not supposed to say where until the award is given out. So and then you can reveal. Yes. So I guess we can discuss that in September. I don't know. When gonna, I don't know. I don't know when. The, but basically, so but Connor Hellebuck's on my heart. Belt. You've shared that sentiment with our mock version of that in the Quarkcast yes. two couple yes. months ago. But 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 we go through that same conversation every year. So there's some people who says no. Well, I'll never vote for a goalie for MVP. I know writers who say no. I would never vote for a goalie for MVP. Right. I think I think you get some of that applies to. Um, it ends up apl- people apply that to the Hall of Fame vote. Just of like, well, uh, it's a goalie. Like I, I I this is I'm gonna vote on this or I'm gonna value this more. I. It is. There's only 36 goalies in the Hockey Hall of Fame. There should be more. And then the other thing, you stop and you look at the standard it's set, and you look at, like right now in today's NHL, there are certainly Sidney Crosby's a Hall of Famer, Evgeny Malkin's a Hall of Famer. Alex Ovechkin you, is a no-brainer Hall of Famer. Alex Ovechkin's a Hall of Famer. Is there a goalie playing right now that is a Hall of Famer? Well, I, everybody seems to think that Carey Price is the second coming um, from a goaltending but when it comes, 
But when it comes down to the end of the career and you take a look at the microscope, will he be a Hall of Famer? I mean, doesn't that come down to does he win, right? Does he get the I mean, Stanley Cup, I mean, which is I mean, not easy me, for a goalie to get. I mean, it's going to be the, the other question will come down to, like, to me, one of the guys who has the best chance of being a Hockey Hall of Famer just because I think he's got such a long career ahead of him and he's already set the standard is Vasilevsky. Because if Vasilevsky goes and wins four or five Vesna trophies in his career, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Agreed. Like, yeah. Uh, but it's as, as, as a kind of represent. And so this leads into this actually, we've talked, Vernon should be in, Richter should be in. But the other thing that we talked about in this kind of um, plays off this topic is so when we did the builder category, uh, I and Arpan Basu in uh, in uh, in Montreal. Montreal, we we actually we actually both nominated uh, Francois Allaire. We actually had two people nominate the same person <laughs> because I think that I think that as Which a is allowed, uh, I, I heard it, it is allowed. Yes, it is allowed. You're allowed to have multiple people nominate the same person. And so we ended up. Uh, it was funny where we both ended up presenting. We ended up doing kind of like a tandem presentation then of like, okay, hey, this is why you should be in. Um, Josh Cooper in, in, in LA actually nominated Mitch Cord. We actually had two goalie coaches nominated. Hmm. And I think it's one of those where the fact that, like, Allaire was close, but he didn't get in. Like, he, we, he ended up falling off at the end. Uh, but the fact that we couldn't get him in was even more of an indication to me of how people view and look at goaltending kind of as voodoo and something they don't really know how to judge properly because Allaire to me I don't understand how he's not in the Hockey Hall of Fame he helped modernize he modernized the butterfly he 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 modernized the goaltending coach position before he was really the person that made goaltending coach position in vogue um all of the great goalies from Quebec in the 90s and the early 2000s all of them played for him he all actually you look at like the goalies that have come from Switzerland he actually went over to Switzerland and helped revolutionize and, and help train goalies from there the fact he wasn't in already was crazy to me, and the fact that he we I, we couldn't get him in. And I know it's tough to get in, but it's just kind of one of those things where I think goalies don't get the uh, goalie. And it's, this is going to sound this is you, you know it sounds funny coming from me, but it's goalies be don't get their serving. But goalies don't get the respect on this. Like I feel like <laughs> always like smoking from a true goalie. Like goalies don't get the respect on this, and Which it's is crazy because I, I said it before. Yeah, we talk so much about how important that position is to the game of hockey. Yeah, we talk constantly about how it's the one position, and maybe all of sports, that can change the outcome of a game more than any others. And I say the closest is a starting pitcher. Um, Except for that, unless you're playing in the National League, and that's going to possibly change too. They can't, not anymore. Can't <laughs> score runs. Well, goalies can actually score goals, although it's exceedingly rare. But yeah. but you know, those are the two positions in sports that really dominate. You you know, you could say the quarterback is a pretty big thing yeah. in football, but I mean, a goalie can steal a series. A goalie can steal yeah. a Stanley Cup run if he gets hot. That's why I mean, we, you mentioned. Rod Brindamore in Carolina, yeah. Cam Ward did that yeah. in 2006. Mm-hmm. It, those things happen. Yeah. So it is surprising that considering how important we take that, that there weren't goalie coaches for so long or there was less yeah. development goalie coaching going on until more recently. And, and I, it, it's odd for a position that's so important how it's sort of been, because it's different than everything else, it's, well, I don't know anything about it, so just go stop the puck. Yeah, I have one more theory on the voting before we move to the lightning okay. round, just as far as goalies go. I think one of the things that 
we um, it is easy to there is a there is always a massive statistical difference between the great and good players. I think I think we see that with skaters. Like there is it is it is easy to look at numbers between great and good. I think a lot of times with goaltending, unless we're talking about Dominic Hasek dropping a 9.36 save percentage and everyone else in the league at 9.04 at the time, the the, the difference between good and great it's not as large of a quantitative right. like. It's not as large of a list where it's like, so I think kind of the lack of that, um, the lack of like, it's, it's easy to look at, oh, 500 goals where a, a good player scores maybe 300, like just where like, I think the lack of the huge difference on things, I think that may be one of the reasons it holds people back on goaltending. Like, um, well, that's a, it's an interesting yeah. point you bring up because yeah. that's something that really stood out to me when I was looking at, at some of those numbers because I was looking at players and going, okay, well, you got to have over a thousand games to really stand out unless you have just absurd numbers. And okay, you've definitely got to have more than a thousand points unless it's like, hey, I only played 500 games and scored 900 points or something crazy like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 500 goals stood out as that. And then from the goalie perspective, I was looking at guys that, like, for example, 300 wins. And when Kari Lettinen hit that number, that was kind of a a pretty big milestone for him. So then I'm looking at these guys. Okay, well, Barrasso had almost. 400. He had 369, and he yeah. won two Stanley Cups, and he played 777 regular season. And, and, and he also, Barrasso, the other thing too, just to give Barrasso another feather in his cap, do you remember how he came out of high school and then won the Calder? Like, I mean, that is, that alone is one of those things where it's like you look at to go from playing high school hockey in New York to winning the Calder Trophy next year in the NHL. Well, and that then, is, then yeah. I start looking down the list, and Andy Moog has 372 career wins and three Stanley Cups. Is he a, a Hockey Hall of Famer? I mean, you could argue that he was pretty important with Edmonton, Boston, Dallas. Well, Fear's in the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Grant Fear's already in the and Hall then, of Fame. And so. then, you know, you know, Mike Vernon, 385 career victories, two Stanley Cup titles. And, yeah, I mean, so... Yeah. I think you have to ha- hit some milestones just because of longevity, right? Mm-hmm. To be a Hall of Famer, you can't just be great but short-lived. It has to be great yeah. over a really long period of time. And I, I guess, like, well, let's put, let's, let's just put, I, I, he's not eligible yet, but let's just throw his name out there just, just to, to throw it and just kind of, is Roberto Luongo a Hockey Hall of Famer? <sighs> For the longevity, uh, I would say yes. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, he was, I think about how long he played. I mean, look, Yarmir Yager, whenever he becomes eligible is going to be a a no brainer. Right. And and, and for people listening real quick on Yager, like if you're talking about that with goalies, I think Luongo should be a hall hall of famer. Yeah. Just for people listening too, just remember it's, it's three years since you've played in any level. So as long as Yager continues. Yeah. Yeah. Like if he's Uh, playing in a big league, it doesn't count. Yeah, no. The other thing, too, that's just going to be interesting, just, just to think of, and this is something I'm going to be fascinated to see what this does for next year. Um, next year, the Sedins become eligible. So how do... Next year, the Sedins become eligible. The Sedins are Hockey Hall of Famers. How do they get treated? Because are, they, are they going to take... Do they take... Are they, they're going to take... They're probably going to take two spots next year. Yep. So how... What is the class going to be like for next year? That's going to be fascinating and when we dive into this next year. they only have four spots in the male yeah. category. Yeah. And that's, yeah. what, that's what we were talking about about that earlier is in a, in a case like that, there are some times where it seems like the newcomers take up 
a majority of it, so you don't get a chance to talk about somebody who has is eligible yeah. but's been out there for a bit. And that's why you get to, you know, could Rod Brindabor end up not getting it next year because all of a sudden these two guys are eligible and maybe somebody, I mean, who knows, right? No, I mean, like, I, I'm already, I'm already like, going through my head right now, like, just thinking, like, it's going to be tough next year because of the, so, like, you go next year, so if, if, if Brandon Moore's nominated, if Vernon's nominated, and the Sedins are nominated, there's my four votes. Mm-hmm. Like, just, like, right now. Like, obviously, I could change and think about that, but that's, but those are, those are, those are the four votes, like, for me. Like, okay, hey, um, like, those, those four are, well, and so it's, it's very, it's interesting. Well, you can tell that it was one that turned into a good conversation because of the length of this segment, let yes. alone the longevity discussion of players. So let's turn it to the lightning round up next. right it's time for the lightning round as we are now in to the month of july sean let's get right to it because after a 40 minute hall of fame discussion we could probably just end it on that but we have to get, yep. go to the fans and so let's start with patrick who sent in a question about this since masks are very topical right now rank the masks of dallas stars starting goalies or to speed things up which masks are the most iconic yeah, we're not going to go rate all of them Boy, because we don't that's have something that we're forty-minute conversation in us. Today. No, but, but no, but we've we, we've kind of had one of the things that you and I have agreed upon before. We've we've had this conversation before of, well, as present day goalie masks. While a lot of them, those details are so cool, and, and the, the art is so, and the artistry is so incredible. Um, a lot of them are now lacking those big elements that you could see on that you could see from the crowd and things like that, where like the, uh, like Belfour's Eagle, like was, this is iconic. You could see it from everywhere. Right. Um, you had even, even Turco's gargoyle was still at least large enough and still like, okay, like Bishop's mask and Hudobin's mask have some really cool elements, but they're not, but it's people not, don't remember it later on. Like, Hey, Eddie, exactly. it's cause he has a giant Eagle on either side. And I was telling you, when we were going back and watching yeah. some of the 99 games of, wow, that really stands out. You can sit in the last row of the upper deck and you could see those yeah. eagles and know that's Ed Belfour. Whereas there are times where you go to a team's morning skate, if you don't know what their pad setup looks like or if there's a disparity in height, you have to look a little closer to figure out which goalie is that. You know, obviously... Yeah. There are some differences. Like, for example, with the Dallas Stars, Ben Bishop and Anton Hudobin have much different statures because one's a yes. lot taller than the other. So it's pretty easy to pick them up out of a lineup quickly. But if you had two guys that are about the same height and you didn't know the one color scheme of, of their pads or how they, you know, you're not used to watching them on a day-to-day basis, you might have to go, wait, who is that? Whereas, yeah. you know, the Eagle Mask, there's Belfour. 
Yeah, to me, the ones, like, I think of iconic ones, and I think of two, two come to mind for me, outside of Dallas, two that come to mind for me, uh, I think of uh, Olaf Kolzig and Curtis Joseph. Curtis Joseph was the one on my first, yeah. immediate out of my head. Yeah, and then the other one to me is Olaf Kolzig, where he had the Godzilla, he played into the nickname, <laughs> and he had, he, you could see, it was, those are the two that come to mind for me. Uh, even a guy like... And as someone who grew up as a Devils fan who watched Devils hockey all the time, Brodeur's mask wasn't the, wasn't it wasn't that it wasn't like artistically great, but it was, it was the plain. same. But he used the same design for the entire his entire career. It had the had the one logo. It had the the it was very it had the the and so it became iconic because of the longevity for sure. it. But as far as iconic for what's on it and. The other thing about something staying iconic is goalies change their masks too often now. Like, it's one of those things where even... Because they like, can. Because they can. And while some elements may stay with it, you don't have as much of from season to season of, well, I'm going to, like, like as Anton Hudobin still had Dobby the house elf in back-to-back years, but it's not like that's something where it's like for seven, eight NHL seasons, you're like, oh, well, yeah, he's had that. It's cool. It is cool. It's but really it's not cool. one of those things... But it's not iconic to the point of, oh, that's that's what he's had, and that's right. part I mean, of... The ones that so. stand out in my mind over the years are ones like the Jerry Cheever's mask because it, it had the oh, story yeah. to tell, and it's, and also the homage to that that Steve Shields did yeah. the, uh, where he actually had the mask painted like it was Jerry Cheever's mask and his ears and hair and everything. That was pretty incredible, right? The um, Ray Emery, where he had the boxers on it, where it stood out and was really noticeable, but really... Curtis Joseph's Cujo was just, it, it was his, yeah. you know, uh, Felix Potvin, right? Had that cat mask. That really, yes, really yes. stood out. Those are the ones to me. And I, I, when I brought up this up, you and I started talking about the Belfour one. Yeah. I, I sort of sort of postulated, of, I wonder if a goalie could reinvent it by going, because like, they are intricate and really cool, and there's such incredible skill in some of the designs and the drawings and stuff. What if they went back to something really basic, but really notable? Like, you know, you can see it really clearly. It's the more minimalist, a little little bit more minimalist, too. Right, and And I think because the the more detailed, the harder it is to see from a distance. Yeah. I don't know. I I mean, I get it. The guys get bored. They have great artists around the world that do these goalie masks, and they always say, hey, let's try something new. Let's try something different. And it's neat that they have, hey, a winter classic mask. But wouldn't it be wouldn't it be really cool if you had let's say the Eddie the Eagle with it's still the same Eagles but with maybe a different with, color with, scheme or, or with the toque just like for the Winter Classic right. like like the, like the right. Eagle just with a toque on right. for a like yeah. for the rest of yeah. us. Yes. I, <laughs> I don't know what a, I know what a toque is. I don't think that's what you meant. Yeah, that's what I meant. That's what. I meant. Um, then <laughs> the like, or, or like. On that. <laughs> <laughs> What kind of lightning round is this? Uh, stone eagles. Um, that's or a mask. Like, <laughs> um, well, or I don't know how you're going to tease this episode. <laughs> I'm not even going to do it. You get to tweet that part out. Oh my yeah, god. Uh, or just to, 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 to kind of <laughs> to wrap up the stone eagles. To wrap up, to, to move on from stone eagles. Um, the, um, <laughs> What if, I mean, like a guy like Jake Ottinger, just for example, everyone calls him Otter. Like Jake Ottinger has a name and yes. a, 
has a name where, like, if you found, like, if he found, like, if going to an NHL career, if he found, like, a cool otter <laughs> on his mask, like, that would be iconic. That's something he could carry throughout his career. Remember like, Patrick Laleem with the Marvin the Martian. Yes, yes, that was a good Very one. Very yeah. iconic. It's one that you just carry on. And I'm sure we're missing some great ones over yeah. the years. But oh, yeah. But to me, simple, distinctive, something that can be seen from a distance then you'll have a, a goalie mask that people will remember you by. Again, some of the ones now are awesome. Like they're really cool. And yeah. the sort of Jonathan Quicks is good. Jonathan Quicks is, is he's got the is very is very it's it's kind of still in that realm where it's the knight's helmet yeah. where it's he's but but like, again yeah. I don't and it's good, but I don't sit there and, yeah. and it's not the first one that comes to mind. Right? Yes, like, but it, it like is I love but the, isn't that, the sort of yeah. glow in the dark paint job that Ben Bishop uses and it looks neat. Yeah. But then when it's not dark, when the lights are up, it's it's it again. It doesn't have that same effect. Yeah. All right. Let's move on before we do the whole thing about goalies. Brian <laughs> writes in: Cars is the worst Pixar movie because it's just a remake <laughs> of Doc Hollywood. Their bar should be much higher than that. By the way, good job, Brian. I heard a Doc Hollywood reference earlier today. What a great movie that is. Yeah. Love love the old Michael J. Fox movie. Okay. Anyway. Good I'm, job, Brian. Oh, good Brian. good point, Brian. I agree. It, all I'm saying is I have two kids that when Cars came out, they were obsessed with it. They loved it. So if you have success with the kids and it's a kid's movie, is that not a success? Or, as someone else said, once texted us, Cars is well, Cars was a way to sell merchandise, not make good movies. No, Steven. Anyway, let's go to Ardell. <laughs> Owen, are there freshwater swimming options in Maine in July? Lack of rivers or real lakes in Texas is a bummer. Sean, I'm excited about Delandria. What do we know about him? I test hockey sense analytics. How does he grade or present so far? Well, let me answer mine quickly. Uh, Ardell, not just in July, but in any month of the year, there are tons of freshwater swimming options. Maine, like many states up north, has tons of lakes, uh, yes, technically rivers, I would think that rather than swimming in a river, although there are some pretty large ones in Maine, you'd think of lakes and ponds. There's a ton of ponds in, uh, in the state as well. I mean, they're everywhere. You can go swimming. Yes, you can swim in the, in the middle of the winter too because they also have the ocean in Maine, unlike some places. So you can swim in the ocean, so that's fun. Uh, it's cold, like 55-degree water temperature, basically year-round. Um, so that's... That's, um, I call, Sean, going swimming in Maine in the ocean. Not, not in the, the lakes warm up a bit, yeah. and some of those can be actually really nice in the summer. I call Maine ocean swimming appendage shriveling cold. I, I, don't, I don't like cold water in general, like for, for <laughs> swimming in. Like, like, like my water in my glass here is cold, but I do not like swimming in cold water. <laughs> um. I'm glad that you're water. <laughs> I don't like swimming in cold water, so I would, uh, I'm a wimp when it comes to cold water already. Like we've got, we, 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 got, uh, we got Evie a little bit of a splash pad for the backyard, and there's been times where that's been too cold, and we've, we've, been, we've, been, we've, been, I've been, I've sat in her with that, and, and I'm doing my best to pretend that I'm enjoying this so she doesn't see any disgust on my face, but it's, uh, I do not like cold water. Maybe you should put on a toque to warm up a little bit. <laughs> All right. Um, what about the question? Oh, about Delandria. Delandria. We, 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 we did cut. 
We kind of did a bit of a whole segment on it, but just real quick on Delandria. Uh, I thought he had a really strong year. He's a guy who is, uh, I think he could play in the NHL now if needed. I'm not sure if he's the best option. He'll have to win a job or get that opportunity. And I think he is someone who kind of the player comp, I think, is fair, is you look at a guy like Mike Fisher. Like, I think he could have a Mike Fisher type career. That'd be a great career, too. Um, Yep. Craw Daddy writes in, and I'm going to te- move this to you because you are a banner snob, Sean. He asked this earlier. Snob? That's not, not a bad thing. You are okay. a banner snob, and you should okay. be self-admitting because you know you are. Being from Maine, I am a blueberry snob, and if you don't understand why, then you've never had wild Maine blueberries, but we'll, that's beyond the point. Craw Daddy wrote in that he said this earlier this week in a question but wanted to make sure we got it. Before the 16-17 season, the Stars revamped their banners so the font matched the 15-16 banners. What did they do with the old banners? The um, I don't I don't know the exact answer to this question, but I do would believe that they are in the uh, what, do, what do you call it that archive warehouse that the, that is in Frisco. Oh, in that's the, what I would uh, the storage lockup. Yeah, that's what I would is. imagine where they are. Um, what is that called? Maybe the warehouse. I think it's just called the warehouse. I think that's what they call it. Yeah, it's uh, they have a bunch yeah. of old stuff packed away for if they ever need something or whatever. Um, yeah. Okay, so that was under, underwhelming. Um, yeah. French toast. Two questions, guys. One favorite baseball movies. Oh God, that's going to take forever. Um, two. What is the biggest <laughs> hockey scandal in history, cheating or otherwise? Interesting. Um, what do you well, think? Isn't question two? I mean, question two. Isn't it just? I mean, it's hard to not say the Alan Eagleson stuff, right? Probably, like I mean, because that's that's a scandal that rocked the entire sport, and he had his fingers in everything, and like, I mean, like one of the cheating or otherwise. I mean, to me, it's not really a scandal, Sean. But one of the big moments was Gretzky getting traded from Edmonton. Like the 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 mind blow of holy crap. Yeah, that's but not that's a scandal. Not really though. A scandal. It's just no, a big like, moment. I, yeah. Uh, like I'm, I'm gonna. Go, I mean, it, it's out there. There's a really good book on it too. Um, but if you go and uh, like, go and look up Alan Eagleson and how much he used his position of power for for used his position of power and all the embezzlement and how much he took from both sides. And he, went, he only went to jail for like 18 months because when you have that type of power, you can hire good lawyers. Uh, and he was a lawyer himself. So, but to me, it's it's Alan Eagleson. Uh, the, the favorite baseball movie. I mean. There's a lot. Uh, we tend to quote Mr. Baseball way more than most humans do. <laughs> like, it's so good. I, like, there's uh, two to me. Okay, well, yeah. crap. No. There's a lot, right? Because if you're going serious, it's Field of Dreams and The Natural. If you're mm-hmm. going comedy, it's Major League, Mr. Baseball, Bull Durham. That's at least five, yeah. right? They're all phenomenal. Yeah. I think Mr. Baseball is really an underrated baseball movie. You and I have talked about that at length. I mean, I use the I led this club in ninth inning doubles in the month of August line probably way too much. Yes. And uh, there's other things like, please tell me it's not Canada. I'm not paying the taxes. (laughs) (laughs) Not Not Canada. Canada. But, um, I mean, look, those are great. I, I mean, there's a lot of good baseball movies out there, but at least those five, right? Am I missing any? No, I'll just end this question with this. Baseball's a game, and games are supposed to be fun. Mr. Baseball. By the way, Major League Two could have been way better if they didn't make it PG-13. 
okay? The R-rated nature of that comedy made it feel both authentic and funny, right? Yeah. Changing it so that it was more Disney-related. Sorry, guys, we went from P Pixar cars to this, but it made it less... Like it, it was, a, it's an adult comedy that turned into a for you know a kids one when it was a little too frou frou at times. Still yeah. entertaining at times, but not the same. Although the mock mock movie they did, uh, making fun of uh, Wesley Snipes, the Black Hammer White Lightning action movie <laughs> was pretty great. <laughs> and there's some great lines in that, like uh, Rube Baker's entire character <laughs> when he got kicked in the balls by a yeah. mule. Anyway, uh, Christopher writes in, looking at the potential roster for a relaunch, the forward core looks less apparent than the D or goalies. Not in a bad way, just that Delandria, Camano, Kiviranta, Robertson, Gardner, etc. round out an already full forward group. How do you see it shaping up? Who sits? Well, I mean, I, I don't, it's going to be the 12th. I mean, we talked about Delandria earlier and the situation to get in, and we talked a lot about this in an earlier segment. It's going to be the 12, 13 forwards you saw right before the stoppage, yeah, that's the what it's going to be. Listed or none of them are going to make the the opening twelve. No, no. So it's they're not they're not going to play. Uh, I mean, they're not going to play off the opening twelve. They could play, um, and so I just it's you have to remember the coaching staff trusts these players too. It's not like it's not like, and it's also not like yes, the stars were struggling when they went into, but those that six game losing streak is gone. Like that's that doesn't matter anymore. Doesn't so. matter. And and uh, frankly, Sean, we talked about this before. Any yeah. team can win this. I don't know if every team is capable of winning it as far as how good they are, but any team that's got in can do it because they're all on the same footing now. And I heard uh, Daryl Ray was on, uh, I think it was the Colorado Avalanche doing a, an online sports social thing yesterday. I just happened to, to see it on Twitter and I clicked on it. And he said this really interestingly. He thought it really benefited the two Stanley Cup finalists from last year, right? The hmm. Bruins and the 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 blues because now they're rested obviously you get tarasenko back for st louis but yeah you know usually if you're the defending cup champs or you're the cup finalist you're usually dealing with fatigue of having a shorter off season and playing for a long time and then trying to repeat and it's really hard because it's just like there's non-stop thing both mentally and yeah physically. There's, there's there's no break well now these guys have had a break whether they wanted it or not and they're already good teams that are now fresh. I thought that was an interesting point by Razor. That is a good point, yeah. Um, but that being said, Chicago could yeah. win. God help us. Yeah. Uh, you know, Montreal could win, maybe. So, um, What do you think? Here, here's, here's, here's a random thought for you. What would be worse for the NHL's perception in the conspiracy theories? Chicago winning the cup or getting the first overall pick? I think more people will be upset about Chicago winning the cup because they'll say they shouldn't have been in there, right? Yeah. Whereas getting the first, I mean, they conceivably the Blackhawks wouldn't have made the playoffs under normal circumstances. They would, they would have been in the lottery either and way. And they could have won yeah. the lottery, and people would have been mad about it, but they would have been a lottery team. So it's, yeah. to me, way worse conspiracy theory-wise. Again, I don't care. Right? If they yep. win it, fine. Whatever. I, I do care if they win the cup, maybe, but winning a cup will be worse than my. For anybody that's not a Blackhawks fan, yeah. which is a lot of us. Um, Jared writes in comment Watching classic Stars games on Fox Sports Southwest recently, I had forgotten how good Alex Goligoski was for Dallas. Question 
some clamoring for Gallant, but how different is he and Rick Bonus in reality? They seem very similar in my view. The Goligoski thing has been something that we've talked about for years. You and I, Bruce yeah. Line and I have talked about it a lot. Goligoski is, uh, I think, very underrated. I don't know if he was the one you wanted to have as your number one, but he, two, two or three, you, yeah. I, and frankly, John Klingberg really struggled in his first year without Goligoski as his partner because he didn't have that defensive partner who could also get out of the zone with his feet or passing. Esselindel's gotten better, but he wasn't in that category of where Goligoski was. Certainly wasn't then. Um, and I still don't know if S is as dangerous with his feet um, as Goligoski is. And so because of that, yeah, I mean, sure, there were moments where we were talking about Goligoski and Klingberg as a duo and not being physical enough around their own net defensively. But as far as puck moving... It was an ideal pairing, especially back then. One of the great lines that I remember, just you just think about the Goligoski Klingberg pairing. I remember someone I once had this conversation with somebody. He says, "Like, well, who plays defense? Who plays defense on that pairing?" Yes. And one of the great one of the great responses I always said, "Well, the other team has to." <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. well, I mean, like that's yeah. if you're doing a Klingberg and Haskinen pairing, it's yeah. out there for offense. Exactly. And. So uh, to get to, his, to Jared's other part of Jared's question about Gallant, some clamoring for Gallant, but how different are he and Bonus to reality? Um, so I think, and this is something where I, uh, uh, Jack Hahn, uh, whose book I've been recently reading, I actually thought about this the other day. Um, he was kind of comparing Gallant and uh, Pete DeBoer and how things changed in Vegas um, after the coaching change. And one of the things he talked about with Gallant was Gallant is the guy who he will give a... He'll sit down with guys. He'll do some one-on-one. He'll treat you like a person. Um, he may get fired up on the bench. He may give that that a little bit of that speech in the locker room. But he leaves a lot of the system and speci- specificities of the coaching to his assistant coach and his coaches of of how things run. And he lets play. And it's way more driven by how do the players, how does it fit with the players? That is exactly that is very similar to Rick Bonus as a head coach. Yes. One of, the, one of the things people forget, and one of the things that I think needs to be remembered on all of this, and Rick Bonus, whether, whether you think Rick Bonus should be the Stars coach for the 2020 or 21 season coach, that doesn't matter for this point. The point here that people need to remember is Rick Bonus is not running Rick Bonus's system. Rick Bonus is running Jim Montgomery's system. Which he and signed playing, on to coach and be a worker w- as a player. Which he signed to coach on. And so when the Stars made the coaching change, they said, okay, we're going to keep things running the same because we're not going to revamp things over the season. Rick Bonus would still be a little bit more defensive than Gerard Gallant, but what Rick Bonus wants to do system-wise is not everything Jim Montgomery wants similar, to do. Similar, but not, a, not it's identical. Similar, but, it's, but it's, it's, so it's, it's one of those things where, as when it comes down to Gallant and Bonus, I think they're both very similar in their, in their, in how they, they're, maybe, maybe a little, maybe Gallant looks a little bit more fiery on the bench, but very similar in how they handle people and how they and, and how they want their assistants to take initiative and, and run things and um, and I, I think it's very uh, they are similar and you can you can see Gallant would be a good coach because he maybe he, he does want to play a little bit more high tempo that's he does want to play more high tempo than Rick Bonus but as far as how they handle people and things like that they're very similar they're not very they're neither of them are massive X's and O's guys as head coaches. Bonus is a big X's O person as a defensive coach. Oh my goodness! But, but once he's running yes. the 
when he's running the whole ship, he's doing more of, okay, this is kind of more uh, macro than micro. And they're both like that as coaches. Some coaches are, um, some coaches are more micro than macro on this stuff and using economics words now. (laughs) um, Don't worry. No one's going to confuse you for an economist. (laughs) Um, But you're you're right. Um, Honestly, I still think, and we've said this a bunch. I still think that if the stars show some pretty strong success, in this playoff run, Rick Bonus, if he wants it, could be the Stars head coach next season. The other thing, too, Sean, is that there may be a situation where he is, even if they don't show a lot of great success, because this is so weird. People throw around the word unprecedented constantly yeah. during this pandemic, right? This yeah. is unprecedented. This is, this is never seen before in this, in this generation. I mean, how a team performs after such a long layoff and such a quick restart. This is not like any other NHL season that we've seen. No, and the other thing, too, about this is I, I think Gerard Gallant is obviously a good NHL coach, but I, we always get caught up in this guy or that guy is the magic elixir that would win a Stanley Cup with this roster. Right. We always get caught up in that, and I don't, I don't think that's the – like, would Gerard, would Gerard Gallant make – the Stars a better team? Maybe, but would you would you tell me that the Stars become a Stanley Cup contender because Gerard Gallant is behind the bench? No, I'm not going to say that. I'm, I think I think Gerard Gallant deserves credit for what happened in Vegas, but I also think George McPhee deserves a ton of credit for how he built that roster too. Yes. Like that is that is the other thing too. Um, so I, I I think to me, and I mentioned this in my column this week, a guy, a name I've always thought would be a good NHL coach, and whether it's in Dallas or not, is, is Ricard Gronberg, from, who's the former Swedish national team coach and now coaches in Zurich. In Zurich's in the Swiss yeah. League, yes. And I think, and he's a guy who I think would will be a very good NHL coach someday. Um, goes outside, kind of outside the box thinking, and I've always thought the stars, I've always thought the stars, thought the Jim makeup. Montgomery was going to be a good fit, and it looked like he was. And he did, and and I and I've always thought the stars, the makeup of the stars roster also would lend itself very well to a European coach. Anyway, we look at how big how big the European contingent is. We look at a guy who has also done, been an assistant coach in the United States before before he was became a head coach in Sweden. Um, well, and frankly, me, look uh, look at Jim Nill. He's coming from the Detroit Red Wings system where yeah. they really found the leg up by tapping into the European player market. Yeah, no, it, it's. I, I think there are. Uh, there's lots of options to look into, um, and I know people want Gallant, but I also think even we Gallant is still taking someone who's been in and recycled it. People always say like we also sometimes get like, oh, it's always the same six or seven names recycled. Like, like we're seeing that with the New Jersey Devils opening. Yeah, it's with pretty Andy much Ruff the, being a candidate. Yeah. And so, like, there are other coaches outside of the NHL that are damn good coaches that deserve an opportunity. That 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 should, um, like, I think I think um, uh, David Quinn has done a very good job with the Rangers. I think he's done a really good job. I think he has gone above and now give Artemi Panarin a ton of credit for being an MVP candidate. But I think he's done a really good job taking going getting ahead of the curve on what was expected with that team. Yeah, they thought there would be a longer rebuild with the Rangers, yeah. so they're ahead of schedule. Per- Perhaps, yeah. or maybe yeah. that's just the uh, yeah. mindset that needs to be taken that look, a year or two into a rebuild, you can be competitive. Maybe not one of the division winners, but why not get into the playoffs? Why not fight yeah. for that eight seed? So, um, yeah. Christopher asked us a, a second question, and this is going to 
maybe take too long. Do you want to tackle it now, or should we leave it for another lightning round? No, we can we can we can tackle right. it quickly because I mean said, I think looking, it's looking at player comparisons with former players. I can see Johns talk about Stephen Johns as a similar player to Sheldon Soray. Injury history overcome, big shot, physical defenseman, and Tyler Sagan reminds me of Joe Sakic. Can either of you compare other stars to former players? Um, I mean, it's I don't have. I don't really see the Sagan Sackett. Like, I mean, well, they're like, completely opposite personalities on the ice. Yeah, yeah, and also the other thing too is like I think I kind of think of players that remind me. Like, I don't, I can't think of any players on the Stars where I look at and say, "Oh, that person reminds me of this guy or that guy." Like, um, like John Klingberg to me is John Klingberg. I don't, I don't see like it's not like yes, we use the Serge, we talk about Sergei Zubov as the gold standard for offensive defensemen, right. but and but he certainly John, has some similarities, but, but they're not but, the same player. But they're different players, right. and there, there's very. Um, and I, I think a lot of the time, a lot of a lot of it has to do with the the era of things too, on how stuff goes. Because you've got players now, who there's not really trying to compare a player from 2020 to a player from 1999, isn't really. I don't I don't think that's fair with how the game has evolved too. So, um, if you asked me, like Chris, if you were to say, hey. Who does this guy remind you of? I could start thinking about it, right, but I there's... Mean, we were talking about Miro when he came in, and people started saying things like, he skates like Scott Niedermeyer. And... Well, to me, okay, that's actually a good example. So you say, the person that Miro reminds me of is, Miro reminds me of Roman Yossi. I think Miro and Roman Yossi are very similar players, and I think Miro has a higher sealer than, Ro than, Ro than Roman Yossi. very high to begin with. Which is very high to begin with. He may right. win the Norris this year. Who knows? But um, you have... Uh... <laughs> I'm not supposed to give that stuff away. I'm not supposed to give away my ballot. Um, <laughs> you already told us that you really like Yossi. We had that argument before. Yes. But, like, for example, M you Miro is like... You to admit that it's on your ballot. You could just say yes. you like him. Yes. See, you're, Miro... you're giving it away yourself. Yeah. None of this oh, I don't wee care. crap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. No, I mean, there's... So, like, Miro, I could think of... He, about, he reminds like, me what, of Yossi. Who does Jamie Benn remind you of? I think a little bit of Jerome McGinley. A little dif different. They're not identical, but they are big, strong guys that... Uh, I mean, there are comparisons that are similar but different, right? Uh, f strong, physical, not afraid to fight. Uh, All-around players. Maybe not Jamie Benn right now, but, again, guys who were captains who are really strong leaders with their teams, franchise-type players. I just don't think that Aginla and, and Jamie are exactly the same. But I, I don't think, I don't think you've had... There are some similarities, though. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the... Aginla to Ben is probably the best one, but Jamie Ben, I also think, is one of those where what made Jamie one of the top three, four, five players in the world at his peak was he was incomparable to anything we've seen before. Sure. I think that's, that's just... Well, he was sort of like that player that was... It was almost like Rob Gronkowski, right? Too big mm -hmm. to be dealt with by the quicker defenseman and too fast for the big, strong defenseman, right? Yeah. And Gronk was like that with he was too tall to be covered by a, a corner or a safety because he was too big and strong. And then if a linebacker covered him, they couldn't keep up when he was too fast. So, yeah. you know, maybe that's the Jamie Benn comparison. Yeah. <laughs> Can you compare Tyler Sagan to Julian Edelman? I'm just making know. it up, but you know. I don't know. Tyler's a Patriots guy, I think. Well, he's actually good buddies with Edelman, too. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's Chris. It's it's a fair question, and it's one where it's just. I think there's so much of we get kind of, and maybe and maybe it's where we see watch these guys so much. Where I don't watch a stars player and say they look like that. I I watch so much of the stars players that they just look like that player to me. Like, yeah. Like, here's one. I guess the one just kind of I'll leave this. Um, Jason Dickinson skates like an off-handed Tyler Sagan. Like the way the way the way they the way he's I'm not saying skill wise and playing wise, but like yeah, like there are his, players occasionally in the stars where if I don't look at them really closely, if I just see them in pass like as they zip up the ice, I'll go, oh that's oh no that's not him, right? You yeah. you see a couple guys that have similar statures because typically yeah. everybody's so unique, it's really easy when you watch them as much as we do that you can see them without seeing their number or their name on their jersey. Yeah. Um, Obviously, having players like the Sedin twins would have been more difficult initially until you really get to know them well, and then you probably see a lot more differences. Yeah. So there's so. that. All right. Yeah. Let's uh, let's let's end a wild Fourth of July edition of the Quarkcast. Happy Canada Day for all the, you uh, Canadian listeners uh, from a couple of days ago. Tomorrow is the Fourth of July. If you're listening to this on the Fourth or after, I hope you had a nice festivity. Let's look, there's coronavirus is spiking everywhere. So let's please try to, we want to have some hockey later. We want a football season. We would like to see next season start sort of close to on time. It's not going to happen unless we make some sacrifices. So for the sake of sports and normal life and everything else, stay away from people (laughs) and wear a mask. Some people call me the space cowboy. Call me the gangster of love Some people call me Maurice Cause I speak of the pompatists of love People talk about me baby Say I'm doing you wrong, doing you wrong Love and I